Dear Mr. Brian Boyd, no doubt by now you have received full information about the untimely death of your son. However, there are some personal details. Believe very strongly. No words of mine can ever. He was a fine soldier. Regarding the circumstances leading to his death, felt his loss tremendously. Robert's commanding officer. His heroic service to his country. Great soldier, dedicated friend. Grace of God and the aid of your son. Those of us alive, please accept my most sincere condolences. Live in our memories. To you, my deepest sympathy. Colonel, I've got something you should know about. Yes. These two men died in Normandy. This one at Omaha Beach. Sean Ryan. This one in Utah, Peter Ryan. This man was killed last week in New Guinea. Daniel Ryan. The three men are brothers, sir. I've just learned that this afternoon their mother is getting all three telegrams. That's not all. There's a fourth brother, the youngest. He's somewhere in Normandy. We don't know where. That boy's alive. We're going to send somebody to find him, and we're going to get him the hell out of there. Some private in the 101st lost three of his brothers, and he's got a ticket home. It's not going to be easy finding one particular soldier in the whole damn war. Welcome back to the Essential Films Podcast, a podcast devoted to the discussion of the greatest movies ever made, or the Essential Films. I'm Adolfo Acosta, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Mark Espinosa. How you doing today, Mark? Brother, please tell me, please tell me that at least at some point during this broadcast, we will be burying Shakespeare in Love. Oh, well, that, of course that is on the agenda. That is definitely in my notes to deal with. <laughs> Uh, not that I think hear. it's a bad movie, but come, I mean, come on, it's still one of the biggest snubs ever. But we'll 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 get to that. We'll get to that. Um, but yes, we will we will take out the shovel for uh, for Shakespeare. And Ultra. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's awesome, bro. So uh, we on this week's episode, we will be talking about, uh, as you may have guessed, Saving Private Ryan, um, the infamous 1998. Uh, Best Picture loser that shouldn't have lost, but we'll get to that a little later. Uh, but before we get to that, how you been, Mark? Uh, pretty good myself. Got can't really complain. Um, but before uh, I kind of get into it, you know, I'm gonna open up my little drinky drink here uh, today for everybody who's interested. Today I have a Blue Moon can. So, Blue Moon. Um, in in the spirit of our uh, of our mutual friend Brandon Draven, I'm gonna take a sip for the Working Man right now. All right, let's get I'm the not, show on the road. I, I'm definitely not drinking anything that sophisticated. I am drinking orange Fanta, so 
There you go. Okay. I mean, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Pants is good. Um. So yeah. So what have you been up to this, uh, since our last episode? Uh, you know what? Not much. I mean, I'm trying to stay away from the news as much as possible because it's just horrible right now. Um, but uh, I uh, here's here's something interesting. You know what finally came out on Blu-ray? And I don't I don't think it's ever been out on Blu-ray as far as I know. At least in the United States, it might have come out overseas, like you know, in the UK or whatever. But uh, I have Shivers on Blu-ray now. This just came I out last week. I saw that. Yes, and I was gonna get it, and uh, and then I was just like. I have enough movies I haven't watched sitting around yet. Um, so, yeah, I, I saw it pop up on Amazon as a recommendation to pre-order. And I never pre-ordered it. But, uh, yeah, it, is it? Uh, have you watched it yet? Not yet, but it's a good deal, man. I think it was like 11 bucks, And that's a new release. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. Um, I had to say, yeah, I, I, I wanted to get it. I just, it's one of those things like, do I, do I need another Blu-ray right now? <laughs> you know? Well, well, speaking of Blu-rays, I have to ask you, because the release is about two weeks away now, are you getting that Friday the 13th set from Shout Factory? <sighs> no, because it's way too oh. And I have the one, the, the one that came out a couple of years ago on Blu-ray that's just the first eight. It doesn't have yeah, Jason Yeah, I have XL that one, too. Or Jason X, which... You know, I can live without those two movies. You know? <laughs> um, so the Shout Factory one is really beautiful, but I come, on, I can't. It's just too much money, you know. And and I I spend I spend so much money on Blu-rays. As it, I might pick it up at a on a sale or something if I see one. Right now, the big one that I'm waiting for is I'm waiting for the the next Barnes and Noble Criterion sale because nah. uh, I want to get that. Uh, the Fellini box set, which is gonna be like nice. ridiculous. I mean, it's probably like two hundred retail, right? So I'm gonna, I wanna, I wanna wait for it to go on sale uh, in November, which I think is the month it's supposed to come out, as it is. So yeah, I, I'm waiting for that uh, before I, uh, which is the snobbiest thing. Who do I pick, Fellini or Jason? But um, you know. <laughs> brother, there's the Godzilla set. There's the the beautiful Bruce Lee set, and then there's this Fellini set that are gonna be like up for grabs in November. No, uh, and I already I already have the Godzilla and Bruce Lee ones, um, and nice. I paid full price for those. But still, oh, I'm sure it's worth it though. I mean, for that the the, the stuff that you get in there, like it's well worth the price. Although, but, but like with Criterion, like I always like to wait for the sales just cuz, you know, it's just it's lighter on my wallet. But Yeah, actually I think I'm wrong. Results. I think I waited for a sale for Godzilla. I think I'm wrong. I think I think I did get that on sale, but still. It's beautiful oh, sale. And not only that, I mean by by the time that next sale comes, I mean it's, we're practically in October right now, so I'm just going to say next month. Um you have a lot to pick from as far as like the new releases like there's Parasite coming and there's yeah, a few Parasite. other like good ones. That are just yeah, like I don't know, man. And I just saw somebody pick up from the last sale, like uh, Grand Budapest Hotel or Marriage Story, The Great Escape. I didn't get those from the last sale yet that I still have to catch up on. I did get and Grand just, like the really good new releases. I got Grand Budapest. I got and I got Great Escape. I did not get Marriage Story. That's still on the list. Yeah, there's too oh. much. There's too much. This has been a really good criterion, dude. Yes, it has. It's just, uh, I mean. I don't even know where to start, man. So I might, I don't know, depending on how it goes in November, and maybe I'll pick up one or two because I can't really even get that much to begin with. So I got to really like narrow it down because there's Parasite. Uh, and then there's a few others that are like just on my uh, on my list. 
Yeah, I purposely did not buy Parasite before because I knew it was going to get either release. So I was like, there's no way I'm going to buy Even though I love that movie, it's my favorite movie of last year. Like, there's no way I'm going to buy it without because <laughs> I know it's coming on Criterion. Yeah, actually, you know what? It, it's escaping me the, the releases that are coming. I don't know if you remember them off the top of your head, but I'm just going to look them up very quickly because I want to let the listeners know in case they're not privy to what's coming out in the next couple of weeks. There's Moonstruck. I know is the other big one. Moonstruck is another one. That's Moon right. Featuring Goomba, Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Let's see. I'm on the site right now. New release. Uh, coming soon. Okay, let's look at coming soon. Uh, where is coming soon? All right. Parasite. Oh, Amores Perros, bro. I'm our boy Alejandro. <sighs> that movie's a rough watch, dude. Have you seen that movie? That movie's hard to I, watch. I have. Well, and, the f- uh, Alamo showed it. The stuff with the dogs is hard. Like everything yeah. else is fine, but the stuff with the dogs is is rough to watch. Cronenberg's uh, Crash, bro, which I haven't seen in a long time. I remember watching it like the first time, and I just kind of being a little freaked out by it. So I don't think I ever went back to it just because of that. I've never from seen that it. first experience. You never, never seen, seen Crash? I've I've know it by reputation, but I've never watched it. And when I, it's funny because whenever I I took a quick look at the um, was it December or November that's coming out? December. December, right. So before I, I I just saw like, you know, it was on Twitter or Facebook, I don't know where it was, where they were listing the releases, and I just kind of did a quick glance and I saw a crash, and I about lost my mind. And then I was like, oh, not that crash. Okay. I was was like, come on, Criterion, you have better taste than this. And then I saw Cronenberg. I was like, okay, that's better. And listen, as weird and as freaky as this movie is, it's still a superior film named Crash than the other one. So... I mean, but for the next set, you got The Irishman is going to be there, Moonstruck, Ghost Dog, which I don't know, man. <laughs> People don't like Ghost Dog. I think I think it's pretty cool. But uh, Parasite. Armush, right? He's he's an acquired taste. Yeah. Uh, the Elephant Man. Great stuff. Claudine. These are some great releases. The, Elephant the Man, Gunfighter. The Elephant, oh, The Gunfighter so good. The yeah. Elephant Man and The Gunfighter. I, they're probably not going to be first day pickups, but they're, they're, they're going to be on the list. But right now, I think the 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 top dog is going to be the Fellini set. Yes, it's right Even here. Even though all... I already have eight and a half, like it's like I got to double dip just because it has so many other out of print stuff in there that yeah. the, they're going to release again. So I'm just like I'm just I'm just going to do it. You have to, man. I mean, it, it it took me a year, but I finally got the Bergman set, and it's such a awesome set i haven't even gone through the whole thing yet it's just it's so much to digest hey i i i I have not gotten i've never gotten that one but like i I, that's another one that's like oh that's that's a that's a good looking set but i prioritize other things above it but just because you know why because bergman is it's bergman is not fun to watch you know it's very heavy it's it's very heavy stuff so like i'm like i don't necessarily want like where the godzilla set that's fun to watch bruce lee is fun to watch like Bergman is like, you gotta, you gotta wait, you gotta be in a in the mood for Bergman. So I don't know if I want to spend two hundred dollars like flat out right right away for that one. <laughs> what did I spend? I think with the sale it was like I think one fifty something. So it wasn't too bad. No, that's not too bad. No, that's not yeah, because bad. I think the set like the retail is like three hundred. I think for that set. Uh, it, last time I saw it on Amazon, it was north of two hundred, but I don't remember what how much. But yeah, it was. It's a, it's a it's a it's a bit much right now. Yeah, but yeah, that's yeah. You got me beat there. I, that that's one I've I've I it's one of those ones that I always look at. I'm like, uh, not yet, not yet. 
and watch. Well, and speaking of new releases, too. Out of print, and then I'll, yeah. Anyway. Well, speaking of new releases, another thing that I picked up that I haven't gotten to watch yet, but it is on my uh, my stack to watch within the next couple of weeks, is I got that uh, Rob Zombie trilogy. That it was, uh, they did a Target exclusive steelbook for like the three movies, like, you know, House of a Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects, and then the, the new one from last year. Three from Hell. Whenever it came out. Yeah. I've never seen the. I've never seen the first or the third one. I've seen Devil's Reject, which is great. It's a great movie, but I've heard terrible things about House of Corpse, A Thousand Corpses. And then Three from Hell I heard wasn't that great either. But uh, the Devil's Reject is like the standard bearer for like Devil's Zombies. Rejects is like, so yeah. good. It's such a, it's so it's a dirty, gross movie, but it's really fun. It's as close as you're gonna get to like, like a Texas Chainsaw feel, you know? Yeah. In modern day. I mean, it was, it, you know, with me, like, I, I'm a huge steelbook collector, so, like, you know, I was like, oh, wait, I don't have these movies yet, and then it was coming out in the pristine packaging, so I was like, oh, well, sign me up then, I guess I'll be watching this. <laughs> yeah, I know you love your steelbooks. Yeah. I really should take a picture of them one day, because, I like, the way I, I'm very, uh, what's the, what's the proper word that I could say here? I don't want to say, like, anal, but... I'm very, uh, very protective of my, uh, my steelbooks and my uh, deluxe sets. Like, for example, like, like the boutique labels, like Arrow. Like, I just got the uh, Flash Gordon set, which is a really nice set too. Yeah. And uh, I heard about that, and uh, damn it, it's one of those ones. I'm like, do I want to spend the money on Flash Gordon? You know. <laughs> I got, I got Flash Gordon, and then the other, uh, the other one I got from Arrow was Django, which I think they thought they they pulled that release again because like there's some rights issues going on with Blue Underground or something. Because initially, when it first came out, like the re- the pre-orders were up for like maybe like a week, and then they pulled them because there was like Blue Underground was contesting the rights or something. I, I, I was gonna I say because I thought story. I thought I remember seeing a Blu-ray on Blue Underground, um, so I thought that they had it, but maybe and, I don't know. And then earlier this year, it went back up, so everybody thought, oh, I guess the rights things have been cleared. So as soon as it went up, because I remember what happened last time. I immediately jumped on it. I got it from, uh, I think, Grindhouse Video I got it from. And then, because the Amazon pre-order was going to take, like, two months to get there. Because this is, like, in the middle of the pandemic still, like, around April. So uh, um, Grindhouse Video was able to send it, like, relatively quickly. And then I think, when it, I think it came out the end of June, right? And then the, the Amazon one got delayed to August. I was like, no, screw that. So I went, got it from somewhere else that was already shipping. And then, uh, like, maybe a couple of weeks after that, they pulled the release again, I guess, because there, there's something else going on with that. So I'm lucky to have that set right now. And I just – I sat down to watch maybe, like, about a month ago. I don't think I mentioned it on the last show, but I finally sat down to watch it. This is the first time I ever watched Django. Oh, Django's and, so man, good. It's, it is, man. Uh, with the with the the coffin of the, the machine gun and the coffin yes, and stuff. That's right, oh, it's so cool. That's such a good movie. And then the wacky dubs, bro. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, watched, yeah. I, I watched the Italian version and the natural Italian and the uh, the American version, and bro, I just I, I laugh. I just like the wacky dubs and the little cuts here and there. It's just, but th- that's that's spaghetti westerns for you. Yeah. Oh man. Um, yeah, I don't think I've got anything super cool recently. Um, I think probably the Bruce Lee set was the last big purchase I made. Um. Which wasn't that bad, because it was only three movies. Or no, five movies, but still. I think everything else has been pretty standard purchases here and there. I don't think I've gotten any crazy ones. 
I finally have all, everything all set up in my uh, in my uh, movie room with uh, that's awesome. With uh, I've got a couple like discs that aren't up yet, but you know they're like the less important ones. They're, they're like the quote unquote just DVDs, you know. Um, <laughs> but like my one shelf that is pretty much all boutique labels, and I have them all separated. It just makes it just they look nice like that, like all separated instead of integrated with each other in in like in alphabetical order. I hate that. Like it looks better like Criterion's by spine number. I, I, I like it. Just looks good. See, I started doing spine number with the uh, Criterions initially, but then like when they started doing the digipacks and then like the the boxes didn't line up correctly, so yeah, I just started I, doing it. I separated them. I I, I see I see the I see the the um. The argument for that, but I, I still like to keep them in spine order, except for the ones with the old logo, which are usually just the DVD ones, the right. ones that never beat the Blu-ray. the The old logo ones are separate on their by separate by spine number, and then the new ones are are together all by spine number. And I have more of the Blu-rays than I do the DVDs, but you know. Oh man, my uh, my RoboCop and Chasing Amy, I display very proudly because those aren't around no more. So. <laughs> Oh really? I didn't know Chasing Amy was out of print. New RoboCop definitely was. Yeah, I mean, as far as I know, Chasing Amy's out of print. But I mean, I could be wrong. I know RoboCop's been out of print, so it's not like what's the what, what's the ridiculous ones? It's like um, like Hard Boiled and The Killer are really hard to find. Yeah. Um, and then so are like um, oh. The third man on Blu-ray is ridiculous. It's like three hundred dollars. And then the uh, the David Bowie one too. Oh, right? the man who fell to Earth. That's also because yeah. somebody else got the rights to it, so now you can't yeah. get it. <laughs> well, uh, well, you mentioned uh, you mentioned that you were like you finished your setup and all that. So I do have a quick question before we we get into our uh, Saving Private Ryan because I have been watching a lot of Turner Classic movies also in the last like month or so. Uh, just I mean I I've been starting to just watch stuff that's been randomly on right, and I remember. I remember looking at some of the pictures of your setup, right? So I do have to ask, you're in the TCM wine club, aren't you? Uh, I was. I, I did it for a year, and I, I, yeah, it was a, it was a Christmas present from my in-laws. But I'm oh, no cool. not I'm not doing it this year. But yeah, I did I did it for a well, year. Well, I mean, I I I'm thinking about doing it because um because I, I I always they always show the commercial like the minute before the next feature, like that's like right. You know, when they do, like, the little commercials, like, the last minute before, like, the top of the hour, they always show that TCM Wine Club commercial, right? So, it's, like, it's getting, like, you know, my, uh, I guess my, I don't want to say excitement, but it's, like, I'm kind of itching now to kind of try it out. So, like, what's your experience with it? Like, is, like, are the wines any good? Or the wines are you really a wine good. person? I mean, I, I'm not a huge wine person, but they are good. They, like, my wife like, liked it a lot because she, she's a big wine person, but uh, uh, um, they, they all tasted very good. Um, I will, I will say though, like, they're not all like, not all the wines are movie themed. Like I'd say like three or four of them are and the re the other ones are just like selected wines from some vineyard. Right. Um, right. but what's cool about it is that they do have a, for each wine they have, they like, you know, they, they give you like a little card that like says, you know, like explains about the wine and then like, you know, this, you know, smoky flavor or whatever might go good with a film noir and then here's a film noir <laughs> you can watch you know um yeah. and then so that that's really cool that they so they, have, they have like movie pairings with each wine um right so uh but the the ones that i had that were movie themed was the there's an uh, i have an ingrid bergman one um a uh uh robert mitchum one 
a chaplain one. Oh, I forget what the other one was now. I can't remember off the top of my head, but those are the three like movie theme ones I know for sure. And then I forget what the other one is. Um, and my wife and I watched the Robert Mitchum one when we watched uh, we watched Out of the Past with it. So it was good. Oh, that's awesome. And don't yeah, ask man, just... whether they were red or white. I can't remember whether they were red or white. I think the Bitchum one was red, but I don't remember what kind of grape, though. <laughs> so don't ask me that. The uh, the Bogart one you have, is it still full or like have is that oh, like an empty bottle you're just displaying? No, the Bogart, that's his, that's his, um, that's the Bogart Estates gin and vodka. I bought those separately. You can, I think they're still oh. around. You can buy them online. It's the, it's a big bottle of gin and a big bottle of vodka. Um, and, um, they're, I mean, they're good if you like gin. I don't love gin, but I had to get the gin just because of, you know, all the gin joints and all, you know. Uh, but uh, I don't love gin in general, but the vodka's good. Um, I've made a couple adult beverages with them. Nice. But now, for our next episode, remind me. I Because I have a my next my next big set that I'm going to watch on my, uh, my stack here. Uh, I don't know... If you uh, heard about this release from our friends over at Severin Films, the uh, complete Lindsay Baker Giallo collection, yeah. I'm about to go through that th- this week, man. It's um, it's four movies, uh, all the movies that Umberto Lindsay made with with Carol Baker, uh, and I don't know, man. I saw this this uh, this set. I think it, I think it came out in like May, but I finally uh, gonna get around to watching it, and. It comes with a so here's the four films. So it's a uh, Orgasmo, So Sweet So Perverse, A Quiet Place to Kill, and Knife of Ice. All Giallos by Umberto Lenzi, starring Carol Baker. And I don't know, man. I'm I'm very excited to dive into this set. But so next next episode, like I'll do like a mini review of this. Yeah, this is uh, gonna be fun. I have I've never seen a single one of those, so I would I'm interested to see to hear your review on them. Yeah, man. Giallos, yeah, I'm excited. Jalos are a fun genre, but like, I am not as well versed as I'd like to be in them. You know. Well, I mean, when you think of Jalo, you think Argento is like the first thing you think yeah, of. When you think it's of pretty much it. I think the only Jalos I've seen are, are Argento movies, like Deep Red, Spiria, if you count Suspiria, uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Um. There's another one I'm sure, but I can't. Think I, of. I, I've been gathering a lot of his films also during the quarantine. I've been a uh, kind of, I well, I already had, um, I already had Suspiria. I had uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage, and I had Deep Red and Cat of Nine Tails, right? So I had those four, and then I've been, I, I over the uh, the quarantine, I bought Opera, which I haven't watched yet, but I'm that's another uh, one that I've been. Opera's not awesome. <laughs> I, I hate to, I hate to say it. Really, it's, not, it's okay. Well, there, what's funny there's about a... operas because uh, not to cut you off, but when I went through like a whole bunch of like lists of like top ten Argento or whatever, and that was like in the top five constantly. So like, oh, I really? guess I should get this one. Then. Eh, yeah, I don't know the so like when the there's this really like freaky thing with the that's like legit like horrifying is like the killer, you know, is like uh, abducts people or one person. I can't remember how many people did this too, and he like tapes like needles to their eyelids so that if they close their eyes, you know, they poke their eyes out or something. Um, so that's like legitimately horrifying to watch. And that's a cool scene. But the rest of the movie, I, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the Phantom of the Opera story, but not really. Like it takes place in an opera house or around an opera house. 
but then it like very it goes really off the rails at some points and like <laughs> it's not really like a phantom really but it's not but it's kind of you can tell where the inspiration was but it's not the same story at all and then the end just kind of like to me like the end the ending you're like what the hell is going on here i mean you, you understand what happened but you're like okay that was kind of random um i don't know it's not my favorite one yeah let me know what you think it's not my favorite i will and well i picked up that one and then i picked up phenomena with uh uh jennifer connelly bro yeah. i can't wait to watch that one jennifer connelly. <laughs> that's right well, well, well now okay okay speaking of you said fan of the opera would you like to enlighten the uh the listeners as to your hot take on fan of the opera <laughs> that you put on facebook recently oh that he's an incel Pretty much, <laughs> he is. He's an incel. He, he's he's totally like this guy. He's he's he he's he's got the hots for this woman, and he like does everything. He like he 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 like writes her an opera and gets her to star in in, in the opera, and then literally kills for her. And like he you know he clearly wants a he clearly doesn't and he doesn't understand why she doesn't appreciate all he's done for her like he, he's a totally an incel and like honestly and it, but it's all he sings beautifully he sings beautifully right but and then, <laughs> this is across by the way all all adaptations of it whether you're talking about the broadway show or like any film the version of it it's like the same it's the same story and he's uh, look i like the story i think it's a fun story and that's like one of my favorite like horror stories i read the book when i was a kid i reread it recently again um and it's like it's fun, but he's an incel, and he's a freaking murderer. Why do people like glorify him and romanticize him? He's a murderer. <laughs> like he's not great, you know. Like I get all the goth girls that like him and stuff, but he's he's a he's a straight up murderer. <laughs> yeah, I I saw that, and I was like, you know what? He's got a point there. <laughs> I never really dug deep in span of the opera like that, but incel murder. If he was like, if it was modern day, he'd be like, you know, posting manifestos online and stuff. <laughs> so, so who's worse in him or Dustin Hoffman in The Graduate? <laughs> oh no, him because he actually kills people. Dustin Hoffman is creepy <laughs> as hell. He's creepy as hell. But, I mean, the Phantom is worse there, clearly. Clearly. Um. Yeah, I get in fights with people about the graduate all the time. Still, like after our episode, people still ask me about it, and I'm like, no, I don't. I just don't like it. It's not my movie. <laughs> I, 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 I said it's just I, I appreciate its its place in history, but I, I just don't like the movie. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, speaking of history, uh, let's yeah. uh, let's dive into our uh, movie this this uh, this week, uh, Saving Private Ryan. Um, Directed by Steven Spielberg, uh, written by Robert Rodat, I believe is how you say it, with cinematography by Janusz Kaminski, which I love saying, uh, starring Tom Hanks, Edward Burns, Tom Sizemore, Adam Goldberg, Barry Pepper, Giovanni Ribisi, Jeremy Davis, Vin Diesel, and of course Matt Damon, uh, with cameos by Ted Danson, Dennis Farina, and Paul Giamatti. Um, Saving Private Ryan, uh, what is your experience with this film? So with this one, it's a little hard to pinpoint, and I'm, I'm going to tell you why. So I'm not going to have like your typical, oh, I saw this for the first time here, or, and you know, it changed my life, or you're not going to get that story with me at least for this one. It's one of those weird, um, I don't want to say experience, but I came to this film kind of already uh, knowing what to expect in a way, I'll, and I'll tell you why. So. 
I rem- the earliest memory I have of this movie is not like, oh, just kind of catching it on TV or, you know, seeking this out. I remember, like, I still remember as a kid, like, when the, the, the trailer dropped and then, like, the TV commercials. And I didn't really care much for it. Obviously, I was, I was a dumb kid, right? <laughs> so, um, but I do remember when it came out and my mother went to see the movie. I think she went with her, one of her friends from work, right? So she went to see it in theaters, and I remember when she, like, came home afterwards, and I asked her about it. You know, oh, you know, how was the movie? And, like, she's just, she was just so moved by it. Like, it was just, you know, it was such a good movie, and, like, you know, the the it's very graphic. It was a very sad movie. And, you know, she just, like, spewing all these emotions about the movie. I'm like, hmm. You know, and, you know, I never really thought too deep past the surface when it came to film back then so like you know i'm appreciating what she's saying but at the same time it's like oh well you know it's a movie i guess maybe i should watch it one day so i remember i don't remember if we ordered it on pay-per-view or if we borrowed the vhs from somebody but we ended up watching it together i think that was the early the first time i watched it but i but the thing about that is i don't know if i really want to count it because i don't remember watching it start to finish like i remember like maybe getting up halfway through and like doing something else and coming back to it so i really don't want to count that as my first viewing because again i don't know i don't remember if i really sat through the whole thing or not it wasn't until i like years later years later that i finally like sat down to watch it and just appreciated everything in it. Like I remember, like you know, the the which we're gonna get to, obviously, like the big opening battle sequence is like that's all everybody really wants wants to talk about when it comes to that movie. And you know, I remember that part. I remember it being worse the second time around than it was the first time. Like I guess it didn't really phase me. I don't know why, but uh, but I remember it, it hitting me harder the second time when I was like, like older and I was able to appreciate like what was going on more and everything. And. I mean, it, it's just it's one of those movies that just even in 1998, like after all of the war movies that we've had up to that point. Right. All the classes, even the, the classic World War Two stuff, like, I don't know, just off the top of my head, Bataan, The Longest Day, uh, all those other all those classic movies. Right. Even to, Patton. to, to at that Patton, man. And then up to that point in history. You have a film like this that just kind of comes out and just changes the game. And it just like just redefines the genre and becomes the I don't know if I want to say the standard bearer, but it becomes like one of the most, if not the influential film going forward as far as like that war genre. And it's hard, not hard to see why. I mean, obviously, with 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 the way that 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 opening battle sequence was filmed. And then, of course, you have like the great cinematography and, and we'll get into some of the technique too, as far as like the the production side, because you know, I remember reading about how Spielberg really wanted it to look more like a colorized newsreel, as, as to like instead of making it like all look all clean and you know like a movie. You know, he wanted the audience to kind of be immersed in it, as if like they were there or they were watching a newsreel uh, uh, of the war, which 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 is a cool technique that that they, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, but I guess kind of wrap up this little soliloquy I'm doing. It's just, you know, after having finally seen it and like just really appreciating it, I, I understand, like, its place in history now as far as, you know, film history and how it's influenced, like, all of the war films that have come after it. And, I mean, it's just quality stuff robbed, absolutely robbed the best picture that year. It's just – and, again, like, we'll get to that way later. But 
it's just, I think it needs to be said now. Like this should have won Best Picture. <laughs> yeah, um, it's kind of more or less the same. I I, I didn't watch it um in the theaters, um even though I was old enough to have gone and seen it. Um, I I remember wanting to go see it and was going to go see it and then like plans fell through and then it just never happened. So I didn't end up watching it until like uh um until um home video, which is not really the best way to watch it because I mean this is pre DVD or you know, so it was on VHS. I don't even think no, you know what? It was a letterbox VHS, so at least you got the widescreen there, but um it was still not the most, you know, the best experience to see it. I wish I could have seen this in a theater. Um and actually you know what? I think I remember also having a second chance to see it, and then I'm going to see Armageddon instead, <laughs> ah. which came out the same summer. That's <laughs> right, bro. Which I think probably I should have made. I oh made the wrong God. call there. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah. So I wish I would have seen this in the theater, especially for that opening sequence alone. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think I got to see it until like home video on VHS of all things. And I remember really, really enjoying it. Um, Really appreciating that opening sequence and then just going, okay, yeah, it's a good movie. Um, and then, like, being, you know, annoyed at the Oscars and everything like that. And then, like, kind of, I think I maybe have seen it once or twice since then. And then I haven't seen it probably in over a decade until this recent viewing. And yeah. I forgot uh, a lot of what happens in this film. Uh, and... I don't know, maybe it's just because I have a, a big screen setup now and with, you know, sharp picture and great sound that, like, I was, like, much more affected by by it than I was before. But that yeah. it's it's real that I mean, I, we're going to talk a lot about the oh, the 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 D-Day invasion sequence on Omaha Beach, but that sequence is really harrowing. That sequence is really intense um, and I cannot. I don't know why it never affected me before that it, as it, but it did way more. It affected me way more this time than before, and I think maybe it just had to do with the fact that I finally seen a little bit closer to. Obviously, you don't have a big thirty foot screen, but you know, my I have you know, but now that I have a, a decent setup, like it's much more closer to what it was intended to be seen as, you know, and it just, it was just kind of like, geez, you know, just way too, way too visceral. I, I, you know what? I'm kind of in that same boat too because w with this recent viewing, I, I had the whole setup. I had the surround sound on. I had like, you know, like I, it was like almost a th as much as I could do in my little room here. Like I had like as much of a theater setting as possible. And then just to hear like the like everything, like the like the 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 grenades going off and like all like the bullets and the uh, you know the people the guy screaming and it's just you know it, that. What a really harrowing sequence, and it's just just enough to give you goosebumps throughout the whole thing. And I think I'm like I said, I think I'm just like you with this with this recent viewing. Like I think this might be the the most it's affected me. You know, even because again, I haven't really I don't watch this movie a lot. You know, throughout you know the, throughout the last like twenty years, I haven't really like you know sat down and watch make it like a yearly thing. So I can't remember the last time I I watched this before you know this week. And I mean, I don't want to say that I've forgotten how, how it felt like, but it's just like it almost I, I don't want to say like it, it was, but it almost felt like I was watching it for the first time in a way. Yeah, it, I mean, I remembered like the beats of the story. Right. But I I just forgot how it felt watching it, you know.
Right. Um, so let's get into the, some of the background of the film. Um, so the film was written by, uh, like I said earlier, Robert Rodat, who, who um, actually based it on uh, a real-life family called the Nylans, um, which uh, a little bit of background on them were four brothers um, where three of them uh, were lost to were were lost to a war and in World War II, and there was only one surviving member. Although that actually later changed because one was thought to be dead, and he actually was just a, a Japanese uh, in a Japanese POW camp. Um, but uh, but yeah, they were all uh, the Nylon brothers, and then there was one surviving member, and he was taken home, and you know. Uh, but that that was so it was inspired by a real story. Although this is not the story of that. Or or the same person, but they, they kind of took that and and went with it. Um, this isn't the first Spielberg movie that he's that his, he's explored World War Two with, um, and the, and actually I think kind of cemented uh, cemented it with him now because he he had before this he had done 1941, uh, Empire of the Sun, which is one of his most underrated movies, uh, Schindler's List, obviously, and uh, all the Indiana Jones movies, uh, except the last one. Um, so, and then with this one, another World War II set film, and then he went on to do Band of Brothers. It's just kind of one of those things. It's like, well, he really likes World War II. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I was as I was watching uh, Saving Private Ryan this time around, I was like, you know what? Would go, it, 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 you might say something about this, but I was like, you know what would go good with this? Schindler's List. You know, I feel like these are like those are the two like. Spielberg World War Two movies, you know. I mean, obviously, like like you just you, you just mentioned a whole bunch of other ones he's done, but I feel like these two are the ones that he'll be known for the most. Well, I mean, you could make a strong argument for for uh, for Jaws and and Raiders too, but yeah, the, these are probably his most. No, no, I'm talking about like no, I'm oh, talking about like World, War, World II. War Two movie. Yeah, yeah, I, oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, these are just two big ones. Um, yeah, they're they're a good companion piece, but boy, you're. You're in for a rough afternoon if you're going to watch those two back to back. There's a lot of harrowing stuff in both of those films. Um, so I have, a, I have a quote here from Spielberg from around the time of Saving Private Ryan. Uh, and he says, uh, I've always been interested in World War II. My earliest films, which I made when I was about 14 years old, were combat pictures that were set both on the ground and in the air. For years now, I've been looking for the right World War II story to shoot. And when Robert Rodat wrote Saving Private Ryan, I found it. There you go. Um, he cast the movie very specifically. Um, he wanted to choose people that looked like they could have come out of um, like a 1940s newsreel, like you mentioned earlier, because um, he like he didn't like necessarily want like a Hollywood look to a lot of the actors, and you know he he picked a lot of character actors, and with Tom Hanks being like the big star, but you know he's trying to he he really just wanted to pick people that just looked like you know. People that you could see in the picture from like you know 1945. Um, interestingly enough, uh, the before Tom Hanks was cast, the two other names that were considered were Harrison Ford and Mel Gibson. Well, I mean, I can see Mel Gibson only because of We Were Soldiers, which is another great movie. Um, he was the lead for that one, so I can kind of picture him in like the Tom Hanks role. Harrison Ford, I think he's too pretty. You think he's really? <laughs> I think he's too pretty for it, or he would have been too—not now, but he would have been too pretty at that time. I think, and not that Tom Hanks is an ugly dude, but like, you know, he's—he's he's too movie star looking. I guess is my point. You know? Okay. But Harrison Ford, I think, would have been too old. Yeah, I—I I don't really see that one. 
I, I can't see like can you see Harrison Ford like running on the on the beach with all that stuff blowing up around him? You know, I just can't see it. And, and yeah, I know there'd be stuntmen, but still, like it, it's it's it would look it just wouldn't look right to me. I mean, I think from an acting perspective, he could have nailed it. But I, I think from a visual perspective, it, I think Tom Hanks was the right guy, especially because later on in the film, he's talking about how, you know, he's just this normal dude. He's like an English teacher in like a small town like that, like Tom Hanks can play that. Right. Like Harrison Ford, right. Mel Gibson giving the same speech. It wouldn't sit as true. You know what I mean? Right. Um. Another interesting detail about this, and I, I've I've known this for as long as the movie, like as long as the movie has existed. I remember it being like one of the uh, kind of things that people were talking about on talk shows at the time was that uh, the whole cast, the main cast of you know Edward Burns, Sizemore, Pepper, Vin Diesel, Adam Goldberg, and Tom Hanks uh, went through boot camp together uh, for ten days, um, which is not how long real boot camp lasts, but you know, that, but they went through like a, you know, a, a rigorous boot camp uh, with the express purpose of making them all like bond together, but they purposely left out Matt Damon to train separately so that the, uh, the, so that the main group of actors would resent him uh, <laughs> whenever they would meet him on the set. And I have to point out also, which is that's an interesting tidbit. But what I also have to point out about this boot camp is because it was led by our boy Dale Die, man. <laughs> Dale Die. Uh, I don't know if I told you. So over the like over the quarantine, especially around like Memorial Day, like in the the weeks around it, I was actually uh, I watched the uh, the Ken Burns Vietnam War documentary, like all ten parts, and um, so. Right after that, I was like, you know what? I need to go through like my my Vietnam collection. And I started watching all those Vietnam movies, and brother, every other movie has Dale Die in it, bro, in some form. <laughs> Platoon, <laughs> Born on the Fourth of July, Casualties of War. Like he's, I mean, he's a Vietnam vet himself, and I, I love how like they're always using him as like a like a, a war consultant, like you know, for like the like for war movies. Like and then when I read that he was in charge of like the boot camp for like Tom Hanks and I was like I pop because like that's that's all they use him for it seems. Uh, he, he has a little cameo in the uh, in this movie also. Oh, where where is he in the movie? He's um the the scene with um George Marshall where he's talking about how he wants to bring uh Ryan home. This is like near the beginning when like after the letters yeah, go yeah, out yeah. and everything. He's the one that's saying uh he's telling uh the. Uh, Marshall, he's like, you know, we shouldn't be risking our men for this mission, you know, for just one guy. He's the one that's going against him, and that's oh, what prompts him to read the gotcha. Bixby letter. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. He's that general, but kind of an asshole. But <laughs> I guess I can, I can see him now. I can picture him now. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about. Interesting. Um, another interesting thing I learned about this that Tom Sizemore uh, was battling uh, a drug addiction at this time. And Spielberg basically made him take a drug test every day, and that if he would have failed even once, he would have reshot the movie, reshot all his scenes with a new actor, which I think is ballsy, considering how much money yeah. is going into this movie. You know, can you imagine if he got the like three quarters of the way through of like his scenes, and then he had to go back and reshoot everything? And unfortunately, I know Tom oh, Sizemore's had more issues with strategy, that. Bro. What's that? Yeah. No, that's a great strategy because he can literally go like, you see what we have to do now with all the money we have to spend because of you? <laughs> yeah. Lay that guilt trip on him. <laughs> yeah. That would have been terrible. 
But yeah, unfortunately, Sizemore, that's not his first issues with drug issues. And, you know, he's had some over the years. Uh, you know, he's a great actor. Too too bad he's kind of, you know, he ha- he's battling those demons. I'm not sure what he's up to now, but he's great in this movie. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's mostly it. There's other notes I wanted to talk about, but I they kind of are going to bring them up during our, our discussion of the actual plot. Anything else you wanted to go over before we go, get into it? Uh, not really. It, it, I do want to point out just on a, a casting thing, just, you know, just watching it, you know, for, you know, this, this, this recent rate of viewing, I don't know, man. It's just, I knew these guys were in it, but for some reason, whenever I saw these guys pop up on the screen, like Barry Pepper and Giovanni Ribisi, like I just popped because I forgot these guys were in it. These guys are awesome actors. Dude, I forgot you know, like Adam Goldberg. I, me too. I forgot Vin Diesel was in this movie, and you could tell like where his status was in Hollywood at this point when he was one of the first ones to go. Right, exactly. <laughs> that wouldn't happen in 2020. No. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's like a lot of like young Hollywood in this movie from like you know the late 90s, early 2000s in this. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um. All right, so let's get into the into the uh, the movie itself. The movie starts with uh, uh, an old man uh, visiting the uh, Normandy Cemetery, which and they actually filmed at the actual Normandy American Cemetery Memorial in France. Um, mm-hmm. This man is a uh, you know old man with his family. Uh, he visits a uh, uh, a specific grave. You don't see the name on the grave right away. They don't say who this man is right away. Um, and as he's looking at the grave, you kind of you kind of you know dissolve, and we get. We go right into uh, the the events at Omaha Beach. Now, I want to talk about real quick about this actor named Harrison Young. He was specifically cast because he bears a, a likeness to Matt Damon. And it's funny because I remember, for whatever reason, thinking... So, you know, at the end of the movie when it, like, you know, you see Matt Damon and then it dissolves into the old man. For whatever reason, I had it in my head that it was Matt Damon and old man makeup. And clearly it worked casting this guy because he does look enough like him that I was fooled enough to think that it was him in her makeup. Yeah, he looks just like him, man. I, even I thought for like a split second, I was like, is that him under makeup? Like, can't, But then it was like, it can't be. <laughs> but uh, but it, they did a really good job. I was like, you know, I don't know if he just naturally just looks like an old Matt, Matt Damon, but like, I don't know what or what they did to him with prosthetics or whatever, but like he, he looked like an old Matt Damon. <laughs> yeah, he did. Um. And then we'll we'll come back to him at the end of the movie, but uh, we start with the the big scene of the movie, the big thing that everyone remembers about this film, is the uh, uh, the landing at Omaha Beach and the and during the Normandy invasion. Um, this is a, I mean, probably the best battle sequence in the history of movies, in my opinion. I know that there's others, but may have been longer. You know, there's other movies that had, had great battle sequences, like Braveheart had great battle sequences. You know, you know, the Lord of the Rings, the Two Towers, I think, had the longest sequence in history. But uh, this is probably the greatest as far as like directing, acting, editing, sound effects, everything. It is a, like I said earlier, a harrowing thing to watch to the point where, when I'm watching it, like it's it really does. I mean, the way they shot it and the way they put it together it does feel like you're it doesn't feel like um there's a camera there shooting a battle sequence it feels like there's a documentarian there 
like dodging bullets and trying not to get killed. No, but the thing I I like about this is that even before like anything like really happens, even before you know people start getting shot and and all that stuff, like just the mood that is set, you know, like like you said, like the the camera work, it it's very good camera work here because you know it's not like 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 you were saying, it's not like you know it's a director like filming a movie set or at least it doesn't come across like that. It's like you know a guy making a documentary who's like on this boat with all these grunts that are most likely about to get killed in the next two minutes, right? So it's just, like, the way, like, the, like the close-up shots and some of the guys and, like, you know, just, just trying to, like, hide their emotions and not, you know, because I... And then when you get that close to, like, somebody like that, it's, like, it's hard not to put yourself in their place and then think about, okay, how would I be acting right now if I was, like, you know, miles away from a beach knowing what's about to happen as soon as I get off this boat, right? And it's just like, you then you start getting, like, all antsy and nervous, and it's just like, it it really helps set the mood. Even before anything happens, you see guys throwing up, and it's like, you, you get, like, you get, I don't want to say scared, but you get, like, antsy. And it's just, like, what a great way to set the mood there. And, you know, you start with, like you said, the guy throwing up, like, you see... Tom Hanks, and you, you get the bit of the character uh, character trait where he's got this shaky hand, you know, um, and he's giving orders to people, telling them, you know, you know, I don't even, I don't know what he says, but basically giving these military orders, and like, you know, the second like they hit the beach and the, like the little ramp goes down, like everybody in front of him is just shut down, is just shot to death, <laughs> and like it's like complete like there's no. Like, you get, like, you know, in every other kind of war movie or battle sequence, like, it all starts, like, you know, here are the good guys, and they're fighting, and blah, 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 you know, but, like, this doesn't start like that. It starts with, boom, they're here, and they're all getting mowed down. Like, they're all getting shot to pieces, and their heads are blowing up, and, like, and they're, like, immediately on the defensive, you know? And they have to let you see, like... It, it's it's interesting because like you always see these you know movies when these in in real life these guys with helmets and you see the helmets don't do anything like the bullets are like going yeah. right through the helmets and blowing their heads off and like to the point where like the guys in the back are like we got to go over the side of the uh, of the ship of the little boat thing I don't know what you call those things um, but uh, rafts boats I don't know um, yeah. they have to go over and then even when they're in the they go over. Like they're going into the water and they're getting shot at through the water and like they're some of them are like drowning because their 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 gear is too heavy. It's like immediate chaos, immediate confusion, and like you you don't know what's even happening. Yeah, like I said, like it just creates like that that mood already. So you you go from like antsy, like you don't know what's gonna happen, to like just complete chaos in less than a minute. And like you said, it's like you don't know what's going on. You don't know like who anybody is, except you just see like guys getting shot through the water or drowning. And you know, and, like now, now your energy, like now your goosebumps is like up to the max at this point because it's like just you're you're in the middle of chaos and you don't know what's going on. <laughs> and there and there's a great shot like early on where I think it's um uh and I mean it's it's Tom Hanks's ca- character uh, Captain Miller. Uh, and you see him from behind, and he's like, he has like somebody like with him, he's, he, like who either got hurt or or something. He's trying to drag them to shore, but then the camera like bobs down under the water, and then bobs back up to see him, and then bobs back down, as if like yeah. as if there is like a cameraman like documenting this, and like he can't stay afloat because of all this. Like it's just really fantastic, 
like uh, uh, directing there. And then he gets to the shore, and then he saves the guy, and he immediately gets shot, and he has to like keep going. You know, it, it, <laughs> yeah. like the guy he was saving gets shot, and so like all that was for nothing. And then so he keeps, and he has to keep going. This happens then, a lot in the next twenty minutes. <laughs> oh, it's it's so it's so like because you don't know who like because when you're watching it, if you don't recognize someone right away. Like you don't know who's going to be a character, right? Other than Tom Hanks, right. you don't know who which one of these guys is going to be a character. So like you see someone for like a second, they have a couple lines, and then boom, they get shot in the face, you know? And you're like, oh, I guess he's not he's not going to be in the rest of the movie. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it's a ridiculous spectacle, right? It's it's just so much is going on. Yeah, and uh, I mean at this point in in the film, at least you know like. It's not immediately clear what they they're even doing other than just like surviving. You know, eventually, like he starts meeting up with people from his company, and they decide they have to like take out like the turrets. They have to take out like the the Germans that are up on the little the little base camp there. So it's they have to get through that beach, and it's just like those those turrets, those machine guns are just mowing people down, and. It's like now, like your heart's racing right now, and I love. I think Spielberg said something to the point of of he didn't want just people to be spectators to this; he wanted people to be in it. And you know, he did that through the use of the of the camera work with the close ups and with the, with the handhelds. And at this point, like you know, they're trying to like go to this beach. You have this. Uh, this ominous shot of this guy who's just like walking around in a daze and then like he turns around and he realizes his arm is missing and he's looking for his arm and it's just like what the heck is going on man like how are these how how would and then i'm trying to picture myself they're like how the hell would i even like get to like the other side of the beach at this point with all these guns blazing and all these turrets just like aiming at me and then like you start getting scared i'm gonna say it you start getting scared at this point because then you picture yourself there and it's just like how would i even survive like and then it kind of just gives more respect to the people that did have to endure that. Yeah, I remember, you know, so I remember I knew vaguely what this was because I you know we all took, you know, high school history. So I I remember learning about the invasion of Normandy in, in Omaha Beach and everything like that. But like I knew about it like as a concept. I knew that guys stormed the beach and like took the beach and you know they went on to win the war, right? But like. This was like, but that's all they really, t- that's all they really tell you in history, right? They don't really, like in high school history, they don't really expand upon that. So like, you know, the, you know, the date it happened and that's about it. You know what D-Day is, you know, the date it happened and everything. But like, you, that's pretty much all you know. You don't re- really see, you don't really learn about much more than this. And, I, and, and there's some, like, you know, there, there are historians that have like, you know, waited on the film some of the stuff is historically accurate. Some of it isn't. You know, we're not here to discuss that. But it's like they never really teach you about, like, the freaking harrowing nature of, of this stuff. Um, and then there is something that the film does that I noticed that I forgot that it did. And it's something that I think is um, copied a lot. It's, like, become a cliche because cause I don't think it's been done before this. At least this is the first film I remember doing this. There's a point where, like, you know... Uh, there's an explosion that goes off near Captain Miller, and like he goes down, and then he gets up, and then like all the sound drowns out, and he's just kind of looking yes. around in a daze, as like all, at all the carnage. And I think that's where you see the guy looking for his arm. Um, I don't yes, remember, but right. I think that's right around the time you see that guy looking for his arm. Um, you know, and he sees like guys on fire and and all this other stuff, and he's picking up his helmet, and there's all this blood in the water, and he puts his helmet on, and his blood coming down his face. Um, 
but he's like in this daze and you don't hear any sound and he's just kind of observed like i feel like that's a trope now that you see in a lot of movies where like in the middle of the battle like when the main character like like just stops and like looks around as like there's no sound around i feel and like it's freaky that a lot and what's freaky about that guy bro is, is the fact that like he's like showing no emotion he's almost like a robot he's just like looking around for stuff and you're like okay what's he looking for is he looking for like his friend or like something that he and then he turns around and he's missing an arm and he bends down and picks it up and he's still like he doesn't show any pain and like, like he like he looks like a robot i think that's what makes it even creepier bro yeah um so then after that like where he kind of kind of gets his bearings right in like the the sound kind of comes back in is because someone's like saying what do we do now sir and then that's when you realize that like whatever plan they had it's gone to hell like yeah he got, there's like no plan anymore it's just like survive and get to the top of the hill like like there's no there's nothing else now like because because he doesn't like he's now like kind of in like he was like the captain of his squad or whatever but like then there are clearly other people around him that their commanding officers are now dead, and they're like looking at him, to like, what the, what do we do now? And like, he's like, all right, well, we're gonna go, I guess. Let's go, you know. And it's, it's like this craziness. Like, what else are you gonna do? You can't sit here because you're gonna get killed. But you go forward, you might die. What, what choice do we have here? We have to keep going, you know. And it's just, like, I can't like, and, and you know, and this is what makes it like more like stressful and and um, anxiety causing. Is that you know that this like scenario happened in real life? Like in in real life, the, the you know this war happened and people were in this situation. It's not like I said Lord of the Rings or Gladiator or something like that where you this is all made up. Like you know people went through this and there's no way. If I was if if this was me and if I lived during World War II, I'd be one of the guys at the front of the boat that got shot right away. That would be me. <laughs> I would be like getting off the boat after puking my guts out, and someone shot me in the face. That that's what would happen to me. And then that and that's it. That's <laughs> it, it, almost hard not to picture yourself as one of those guys because it's just you know you you can't really even you picture yourself in that situation. It's just, it's just hard, you know. And then when you do, like you're the one that that's it's either like you know you're getting off the boat and you get shot, or like you jump off the boat and then you drown because of your equipment. And it's just you know it's just. But again, like I said, like it just you, it gives you more a sense of uh, a bigger sense of respect for the people that did actually have to go through this and not just go through it, but survived, you know. And even the ones that 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 did unfortunately died in this, like you just respect them even more for even like just having the guts to do it. Yeah. Um, and there's another, there's another scene like right before he kind of reconvenes with this with with this uh, troop. Where like he's he's like dragging the guy along the 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 beach, and then he, he, they get hit by a bomb, and then he like gets up and gra- grabs the guy, and then he realizes the guy's been blown halfway to hell. So he's like, "All right, well, I, I just I don't have to do this anymore." And then you see the the medic, uh, Giovanni Rubisi. I forget his name in the movie, but Giovanni Rubisi's character, like in the middle of all this, uh, uh, trying Wade, to like sew a wound, you know, and like yeah. like do surgery in the middle of all this. You're like, who? How is this? How did like how did humans get to the point where we have to like kill each other like this? I'm not trying to preach, but seriously, like you you know that this kind of stuff happened. There's a dude on a beach with sand everywhere blowing up, and he's sitting there trying to sew a wound shut that's bleeding everywhere and like completely non uh what's the word I'm looking for? Like it it, it, it 
it's not you know sterilized environment and you're like this is ca- this is madness like i can't i can't even begin to imagine what it would be like in the scenario you know what other movie captured that that really well hacksaw ridge like just that feeling of like you know th- th- this guy's trying to like you know this medic is trying to help you know these guys that are getting hurt but like they're in the middle of a battlefield with grenades going off and people getting shot around them like how do you even concentrate you know when you're trying to do that and then you have to decide okay is this guy even worth saving at this point you know <laughs> because yeah. you have like three other guys like next to him you know that also need help it's like what do you do yeah, and then you and you're getting are... shot at while you're doing this yeah and then you're and you see guys are like you know there, there's a guy that you know that could have been like your your best friend, and he's lying there on the dead on the in the sand. And then you see a guy coming up, and then like, well, I need bullets, and he just grabs his bullets and runs off. Like that's like, well, yeah, you're gonna have to do that, you know. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's it, it's crazy. And like, that guy wasn't even dead yet. He just yeah, like, exactly. He just took his stuff. Um. So you know they they eventually after like lots of chaos they they make their way up to like this little kind of dune. Uh, where they're able to like you know kind of get some cover and they you know are able to kind of advance onto the onto the hill um and they you know they go up the hill they find like the i don't know what you call that that kind of concrete thing where the the germans were were shooting from where they had all that cover like they get into that yeah. like bunker that, like, bunker is it a bunker yeah. they finally yeah. get up there and like they're able to like get in there and you know shoot them shoot at them and like get rid of them they throw grenades in there and the dude comes in with a foot with a flamethrower. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So this is all, this all happens within what the first 20 minutes or so of the film. Yeah. This whole thing is like 20 minutes. This whole sequence. Yeah. Uh, there's some notes here that I, uh, I want to talk about here. Um, the, the sequence itself cost $12 million, uh, and it involved, uh, 1500 extras. Most of most of which were part of the um, Irish, uh, they call it Irish Reserve Defense Forces, which I'm not Irish, so I'm not sure if that's just another word for the Irish Army or just another. Ver- don't if please, um, listeners in Ireland, don't get mad at me. I just I'm not, I'm ignorant of of what what they are exactly. But um, so a lot of Irish Army dudes were were in this film playing American and German soldiers. Um, and what I found kind of funny but kind of messed up is that he also hired a bunch of amputees to play the people with, like, their limbs blown off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that you... They, they could get you canceled in 2020. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. call for that. Like, hey, we need a bunch of armless or legless people to, to be amputees in a war movie. <laughs> I can't even imagine. Um... But the reason there were Irish uh, soldiers in this film uh, as extras was because they shot in Ireland, not in Normandy. I'm not sure why not in Normandy, but probably there's probably like some sort of historical preservation or something there. But um, yeah, so <clears throat> a lot of so like I said earlier that like the a lot they did get a lot of uh, details right, like according according to some historians, they talked about like the seasickness people would get in in the in the rafts. The actual rafts themselves were very accurate. Um, a lot of the, you know, uniforms and guns and all that stuff were very accurate to the stuff at the time. What they did say that there was, uh, were some inaccuracies were that the actual sequence of events probably wouldn't have happened the way they did because something about how people who were storming Utah Beach at the time 
couldn't have crossed over and helped or something. I don't know. I got really confused when I was reading that, but it's apparently not completely historically accurate, but they basically just made some changes to make it a little more dramatic. And, you know, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I mean, that's usually how you're supposed to take these quote unquote historical movies, especially if they're from Hollywood. Like they're not trying to teach, well, they are trying to teach you history, but it's not like to the letter, you know, they are going to like, have you know artistic license to kind of change things around for dramatic purposes or whatever i mean it's a movie um another interesting fact that uh over 40 barrels of fake blood was used to get this get the ocean to look Ugh. like that uh i don't i did not Jeez. see if there was any um environmental concerns about dumping a bunch of fake blood into the ocean <laughs> Yeah. But uh, I, I do wonder about that. But it's usually just corn syrup, right? So it can't be that bad. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's why. So, so that's not CG or special effects, which is another great thing about this movie. I'm sure they use some, especially like for bullets flying by. But uh, a lot of practical stuff happening in this film, and it looks for that. You know, for that reason, it looks great. Um, yeah. But yeah, forty barrels of fake blood. <laughs> um. Another interesting fact about this is that uh, this film got a little bit of controversy because um, a lot of World War II veterans who watched this film kind of got PTSD after watching it because it reminded them of what they went through. Um, and they had to, a lot of people had to like call like uh, the Department of Veteran Affairs hotline uh, to to kind of get to kind of they said they okay let me find a note here that after uh two weeks after the film they had received like the biggest number of calls that they ever received in according like in reference to like ptsd i mean yeah it's messed up that the film triggered that but i mean i get it it's just it's one of those things where like you know these guys lived what we're watching you know and I mean, it's hard to say that any of us wouldn't have some sort of PTSD after surviving something like that. So, I mean, it, it sucks that it triggered it, but, like, I get it, man. It's just, it, it, it's, it sucks. I mean, it, what, I mean, but it kind of raises the question, should you, should you portray it, like, as it's, as it's supposed to be portrayed? Or do you, like, whitewash it a little bit and, like, you know, how, like, movies of, like, the 40s and 50s did, you know? I mean, it's a different time now, and I feel like if you try to do what, like, to do the whitewashing like you did back then, it's just it, it wouldn't be true to what the movie is, in my opinion. And you know, it's almost like when you whitewash it, you kind of like take away from the sacrifice that those people did in a way. You know that, that those veterans, like, you know, survived. So, I mean, I mean, I, I now looking back at it now, I really appreciate you know. This some especially for this sequence and how realistic they tried to make it, because it's like I don't think like the movies of like like the batons of the day. I mean, yeah, they they, they portray like valentry and they portray like you know the the soldiers like you know doing their duty and everything, but it's like you don't really see the consequences of that. And I think this was one like one of the first to like really like show okay, this is what happens in war, man. You you have a guy like spilling his guts out on you know next to you on a beach, right? That that's war, you know, and. To, to to kind of go back on that and like whitewash it in a way is like it, it's not fair to the people that actually have to go through that. Yeah, but maybe maybe there should maybe there's one of those situations where you do maybe give people a trigger warning <laughs> before they watch it. You know, oh, there you go. You know, yeah. like if you've seen combat, maybe don't 
maybe you should be warned about the first 20 minutes of this film. Actually, even like the last 30 minutes of the film, like pretty much like the last 30 minutes isn't as, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Isn't as like horrific, but it's still pretty, you know, pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, there's one sequence here, um, whenever they get up to the, the bunker and they, they, they shoot the flames in there. There's this, there's a sequence where, uh, the dudes are like the guys are on fire. They're climbing out of the bunker and falling. And then one guy, one of the American goes, "Don't shoot, let them burn." I was burn. Like, Damn. That's right. And I think that's yeah, one well, of those. They're Nazis, like... so screw them. Well, yeah, you know they are Nazis. <laughs> I remember when Nazis were bad, and we all agreed on that. <laughs> um, the uh, but no, but the what I think that that is kind of an early example of in the movie because they do they do this a couple of times in the film is kind of showing how like even though this is like the quote-unquote good war right this is like the war that everyone almost universally agrees like yeah we should have gone to this and we should have fought this war right like we were the good guys in this war right even though that's the brother brother brother, that's a good you off but you you triggered something here when you we talk about how like this is portrayed as like the good war do you (laughs) Bro, do you remember Small Soldiers with Phil Hartman, bro, where he's, like, sitting there? He's I forget what movie he's watching, but then just randomly he goes, I think World War II is my favorite war. And he's just, like, eating popcorn. He's just, like, like oh, just randomly. I think World War II is my favorite war. Yeah, and, again, I think it just speaks to that. I did not see that movie in a long time. I think that was his last movie, bro, before he died. Was so, it really? Oh, man, yeah, that sucks. Because uh, because it came out, like, after, like, he filmed, it was a while, uh, that's when he filmed, and then it came out after he died, so they did a little tribute at the end, like, for Phil. So. Uh. Why is it always, like, the most embarrassing thing that the person did before they died? Like, Raul Julian Street Fighter. Or what about, <laughs> you know, was it, was it, um, uh, Keith Ledger, didn't something, like, weird come out as his last movie? Imagine, uh, oh, that, what was that movie called? The imagination of Professor or something or whatever. Something yeah, like that, right? I can't remember the name of the movie. But anyway, yeah. um, but no, it, you know, even though this is considered like the quote unquote good war, the one that like almost everyone agrees with, like yeah, we were the good guys, we should have fought that war, blah blah blah. Um, they still shows you that like that we may have been doing some qu- morally questionable things. Like that guy was like. Hey, let them burn, you know, instead of killing them. Um, and there's a couple other things that happen in the film that we can get to uh, that kind of challenges that as well. Um, yeah. But then after all the chaos, you know, after everything is set and done, and we just see the the carnage that's all over the field, like you see all this, like, all these dead bodies everywhere, like even dead fish are like on the ground and stuff. Um, we yeah. kind of zoom in on this one dead body, and it just you see like the back of his. Uh, of his backpack, and it just says, you know, uh, Ryan, I think S is the thing, like his initial Ryan S. Right. Which sets up the uh, the rest of the film. That's right. And then um, we get a little bit of foreshadowing here also. Like, I think it was, like, right before that scene when they zoom in on the dead uh, Ryan brother. When um, uh, Adam Goldberg's character, Mellish, when he gets the knife from the German soldier... Mm-hmm. And I think I think one of, one of the other guys told him, "Oh, it's a Hitler Youth knife." And he goes, "Well, from now on, it's a Shabbat knife, or whatever he says, right?" And uh, there's a little bit of foreshadowing there, uh, which I mean, I won't get yeah. into right now. It, it'll it'll come up later. So. Yeah. 
But like I, I forgot about that, and then like when it happens later, you're just like, oh crap! Like they, and they set that up earlier in the beginning, so like I, I kind of pop for that in a way, but it's sad. Um, so then we uh, next scene we get um, we get like a a scene in like the the war department uh, where all these uh, secretaries are typing up letters of condolences. Um, you see this one lady; she like types this one up, then she sees. Obviously, that there's a familiar name on that, and she gathers some other some other letters, and she realizes that these are all brothers. Uh, and then she goes and tells her boss, Brian Cranston, uh, who, who I totally <laughs> popped for when I saw. I was like, oh my god, it's Brian Cranston! I did not know he was in this. Uh, no arm, la- by the way. Yeah, I don't know no arm. But last time I saw this movie, I probably this was definitely before breaking bad so like i i don't remember i did not remember him him even being in this film and he's got like he looks so young um See, now, now was malcolm in the middle on tv during this time or was no, that no it came out like a year or two later oh okay so like, we didn't I, even know who this guy was then yeah was it like came out like actor. a year or two later like maybe 99 or 2000 malcolm in the middle came out so yeah it, he, at this point he was just like the dentist from seinfeld like, like he was, <laughs> he was right. only in a couple of episodes. Like he wasn't doing that much. He was like a just the regular working actor. But man, he looks so young in this film. Um, but yeah, they go to him and they're like, "Hey, we got to show you something." And then that's who they. And then they take it to um, to George Marshall, um, and they had to have the debate about whether you know they should save Ryan or not. And then he, that's where he said he reads the, the the Bixby letter, in a very like, I feel like this is a very Spielbergy scene, like because. Because he picks up the letter, he starts reading it, and there, like, you hear the John Williams music kind of fade up in the in the background, and then like he's well lit with this like light coming in behind him. Like this is a very Spielberg scene. You'd be surprised how many people today, or at least like the youngins, I'll call them, of today, don't know about that Bixby letter, bro. I learned about that Bixby letter in like sixth grade social studies, bro. When we're talking about the Civil War. Like, that was part of, like, our assignments, that we had to, like, read about that letter, answer questions about it. And you'd be surprised how many people don't know about this letter, bro. It's just, it's crazy. Because that's why, when I, like, when I see it now, like, when, when especially this scene, like, when he reads it, like, I pop because it's, like, I learned about this in elementary school. I learned about that letter. And, like, you'd be surprised how many youngins don't know about this. <laughs> yeah. Um, in our next scene, we get the... Uh, we get the uh, the army, the army guys delivering the letter to uh, Mrs. Ryan, in like again another Spielbergy kind of moment, like the most Americana setting of all time, like this house in the middle of this beautiful farmland, you know the most American image you can think of, and then here comes these army guys to tell her that uh, that her the the bad news. Can he, I can't even imagine. Bro, this is—I mean, I—I've I, never been in that situation, thank goodness. But like, I just the the sympathy that I have for all those people that have unfortunately been in that situation is just—I mean, I can't even fathom what it's like. You know, it's just that's why it, not just this movie, but in any movie, when you see scenes like this, it's just you you you, you want to put yourself, you know, and and have like that emotional resonance with with the character. That they're about to do this to, but 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 you can't. I mean, at least I can't because I, I've never had that happen. And you know, it, it, it just it, it it adds a whole other layer to it in a way because like as much as you want to like be the you know understand and comfort, you can't because you haven't been in that position. So only those people know. And 
it's just like it, it, it's very sad. Yeah, <clears throat> it's it's. I mean, this film is like as much as it like plays to like the horror of war. It also like plays to your heartstrings too, and I mean, that's that's one of those scenes that really right. does that. Um, following this, we get a scene with uh, Tom Hanks and uh, his commanding officer. Uh, well, I'm not sure what his the murmur's name is, but it's Dennis Farina. Um, Dennis Farina, and, that's right. Um, and basically, it's it's interesting because right before he like talks to him, he sees like all these other people above him. You know, like they're eating sandwiches, they're like shaving, they're getting getting all these kind of little comforts, like little little minor luxuries. And I don't know, like I wonder what you're supposed to think of because they they clearly focus on it and they clearly focus on his like Hank uh, Tom Miller or Tom Miller's <laughs> Colonel uh, Captain Miller's reaction to it. I just wonder like what he's thinking in that situation. Like what? Why is he like focusing on it? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I have I noticed that too. I can't really uh, figure it out either. I don't know if it's maybe it's comforting in a way to see like these guys like who have just like been through complete hell, just kind of still still able to kind of ease back and just kind of go back to some sort of normality. You know, whether it's like you know catching a meal or taking a nap or a shaving or like just kind of chit chatting with with their with their uh, with their bros, and it's you know. Maybe it's something like that. Maybe it's just a, a way of like him tr- also trying to kind of decompress from what he just went through as well. I mean, I don't know. It's just I'm just kind of spitballing here. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So after, so basically, Farina's there to give him his next orders, which are basically uh, uh, saving Private Ryan, which is the 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 whole point of the film, right? He's getting the orders to say. And the, the, what interestingly enough, what I find interesting is that it cuts out before you see his reaction. It's like. He says, like, uh, it was a tough mission, but that's why you got it. And he says, I've got another mission for you. And he goes, yes, sir. And he goes, it's a tough one. And then you cut the next scene. So you don't see Tom Hanks reacting to it, which is interesting. Because he, pretty much the whole movie, he's like, this is our mission. We got to do it. I mean, I, it doesn't matter what our, what if you agree with it or not. It's what we have to do. So it's interesting they don't see his, we don't see his reaction to it when he's given the news for the first time. And I love later on, like... Uh... He has like the, the back and forth with uh, Edward Burns uh, with uh, with Ryben about how you know Captain you know what are your thoughts about this mission? You, you think this mission is is foobar too, right? And he goes like, you know, I'm not gonna complain to you. I don't complain to you. I complain to the people above me. And complaints go upward or something like that, right? And I just love that whole back and forth that he does with that little snarky like, you know, I'm not gonna complain to you because you know you're beneath me. If I want to complain, I want to complain to the people above me. Complaints go up, not down. <laughs> that's true. true. It's because it's I'm true, not sure yeah. if you've ever been in a, in like, I mean, this is not the right, this is not exactly the, but I've never been in war, but I've, you know, if you've ever been in a work situation where you're like a manager or in charge of any other, uh, under, other people, and you have to give them news or not orders, but like jobs that in your head, you know, suck. Like, and you, you know, are stupid. And you know that they shouldn't have to do, like you still have to put on that face, like, look, you have to do it. Like, I don't don't complain to me. This is your job. You got to do it. You know, but like in your head, right. like you hate having to do that because in your head you also think it's it's dumb. But like you just have to get it. Like it just has to get done. So it's just it's interesting that yeah, I, I kind of like that that uh, that scene. Yeah. 
So he's uh so he gathers up his uh his troops uh, that we're gonna see for the rest of the film, uh, including uh Jeremy Davies uh up uh private up he's a private corporal, he's a corporal, corporal up him, who is basically Upham. just there as like a what is he like a correspondent? What is he there for? He's like a well he's, he's an interpreter. He's an interpreter that's right, he's an interpreter. Yeah, he's not there to do combat. Like he's he's like he went through basic training and that's it. Like he's he's like the scrawny guy, he's got like nothing on him. But uh but now he's now he's gonna be taken in as an interpreter. Um and I think he's kinda meant to be like our 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 in. You know, he's the audience for this, right? He's like the yeah. he's the audience surrogate for this one. No, definitely. Um, so as uh, as he gets his, his that's the, yeah, like you said, as as he brings his troops and they're starting to go out on their mission, um, this is when you start getting the the bitching and moaning from the rest of the troop about why they have to do this. Um, it is a great br- scene. It is a great scene, but right before that scene, you get that really, I, I'd say almost iconic shot of like them coming up over that hill. They're all like in silhouette. You know which one I'm talking about? Yeah. Like they're yes, kind I of do. in formation. They're coming up over the hill. That's a great shot. Yes, it is. Beautiful shot. It's it's the one that they always show, like when when referencing this movie. Like that's one of the ones that always makes the highlight reel. Um so as they uh as they um as they're going on, they stop in this kind of like little town where there's a bunch of where a bunch of uh I don't know what's actually happening here. It's like a bunch of their their um uh, I, I forget what the squad is. Like, is, there's a bunch of different names for squads: 101st, 102nd, whatever. Um, but they're but like they're kind of in the middle of some uh, some German sniper fire, and uh, they they go in to basically help them out. And they got to go through this town to keep going. And this is where we meet uh, uh, Captain. Uh, um, what's his name? Paul Giamatti. <laughs> uh, he's a sergeant. Oh, he's a sergeant. I'm sorry. He's a sergeant. Sergeant. He's a sergeant. Paul Giamatti. Jensen uh, is the captain. That's which we true, see yeah. like a little bit later. Yeah. And he has to tell them uh, everything that uh, that's going on about uh, <laughs> uh, in this town with the sniper. Um, yes. Yeah, so we see Sergeant Paul Giamatti, bro, and he's like kind of giving them the load. And you know, we're kind of we're uh, we're barricaded here. Like this sniper's been like you know poking at us. You know, so. We have to go around or do this, and then, <laughs> brother, as he's trying to do this, he's trying to he's trying to talk over like this German loudspeaker that's trying to intimidate them. Like the Statue of Liberty is kaput. <laughs> I don't know why. Every time I I forgot about that line. I put it up on Facebook the other day because I just laughed at it so hard. It's like the Statue of Liberty is kaput. That's disconcerting. <laughs> I don't know why. It was a good comedic delivery from Hanks there. Uh, it was really good. It's really good. The um, Statue of Liberty is kaput. <laughs> um, yeah, they're 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 here and they're kind of so now they got to get through this sniper, um, and uh, they run through all this stuff here, and then they come across this family that's you know has the, the stuck in like on the, the upper like the second floor of this house that's been blown to hell, and there's this dad just trying to throw his daughter out out to the, the American soldiers to like. For them to save her, um, and then uh, Carpazzo, who's Vin Diesel, climbs up and grabs her, and you're like, "What are you gonna do with her?" Like, <laughs> like yeah, I, I it's like, Tom Hanks, like you know, what are we supposed to do exactly? Like, just put her back. But before know, you it, put her back, it's it's like, yeah, he's doing like he's doing like the kind of humane thing, like he's thinking he's doing the right thing. But you, even like the audience is like, 
what are you going to do with this little girl? There's nothing you could possibly do with her. Like, she's safer there, you know? Like, she's not Do you remember what his excuse was, bro? He goes, oh, she reminds me of my niece, sir. Yeah. Um, And then during all this, uh, Carpazzo gets wounded uh, and shot down the street. Um, And I'm going to say this. Uh, A lot of Diesel, for a lot of good reasons, but this is probably his best acting I've ever seen him do in this, when he's dying in this scene. Like he's actually like he, he he does a good dying job here, like as he's get as he's dying and he's like p- getting the the letter to his dad that's full of, and he's like it's a letter to my dad that's full of blood and I'm like this is actually kind of touching I feel like really bad here this is the best Vin Diesel acting I've ever seen. Wait a minute, so you're gonna disparage his his superior acting performance as Groot? <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Come on, man. I am Groot, bro. <laughs> but seriously, he was really good here. Um, he was and then, really good here, yeah, yeah. And then I that letter, it just had such a like tragic trajectory, right? Because like, you know, uh, Giovanni Ribisi gets it and he tries to rewrite it, and then I think, I think uh, Miller gets it at one point, but then he, he well, then so that yeah. letter never gets to his dad. <laughs> it's really sad. I mean, unless Ryan uh, took it after Miller died, but we don't get to see that. <laughs> but, but Ryan wouldn't even know that, know that it was it, there. You know? Yeah. Then and it had to have been Ryben then, but we don't see that. <laughs> which, one's, which one's Ryben? Uh, Edward Burns. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the whiniest one. Yeah, I, I think he was the sole survivor. Wasn't he? Of, of all of them? No, because up so. lip. Upham lived, oh, Upham. Oh, yeah, okay, so him and Upham were the survivors. I'm trying to think. Because Carpazzo died. Adam Goldberg died. Giovanna Ricci died. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Mary Pepper died. Mary Pepper died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so after they take out the sniper, which is another really cool shot, because like you see the point of view from the sniper's perspective, and then you see like Barry Pepper's character... Like the flash of the gun, and then he dies. After this sequence, that's when, that's when we run into the Ted Danson character, because uh, yes. <laughs> Paul Giamatti accidentally knocks the wall over, <laughs> um, and uh, where, where a bunch of Germans are hiding, that's and then they, they get they get into the standoff, uh, and then the standoff is they they get their asses saved by Ted Danson from a high position from the higher ground. I have the higher ground, Anakin. Um, so. Uh, then we get kind of a funny scene in the middle of all this with um, <laughs> where they say that they're looking for a, a private Ryan. And this is where we f- where they oh, find oh, uh, with, with Captain Hammer, right? <laughs> yes, with Captain Hammer, Nathan Fillion. Uh, again, a, a very young baby faced Nathan Fillion where they say, like, his, you know, your brothers are dead. And, and they're like, how? It's like they were killed in action. He's like, they're in grade school. <laughs> They're in grade school. <laughs> and then go, oh, we got the wrong Ryan. And then he's like, or oh, my brother's okay. <laughs> I'm sure they're fine. And he's like, what if you're wrong? <laughs> I need to go it's like home. This, it's like this comedic moment in the middle of all this like chaos. And what I what I love is right totally before that. This point. Yeah, and right before then, like when they're calling for him. He runs past all our all the guys we've been following. And they all look at him with like this disdain, and they, I think even uh, 
uh, Ed Burns, Edward Burns goes, look at this asshole. Or I told you he was an asshole. I think that's what he said. I told you he was an asshole. <laughs> that's right, bro. <laughs> that's right, bro. But, but yeah, it's just kind of weird comedic scene and all in the middle of all this. Yeah. Well, like I said, it was sorely needed at this point after everything we've been through. So good on them to give us something. Um, uh, then they spend the night in the church. Uh, you get you get some uh, some character development here. We talk John uh, where Miller talks about his hand, kind of always shaking. Um, and then the next scene is that the they're kind of seeing all these um, these captured uh, Germans coming in. I, I I love this this sequence from uh, from what, what is Goldberg Adam Goldberg's name in the in the film? I can't remember. Mellish. Is it Mellish? Yeah, yeah. Mellish is just like. Uh, Holding up his uh his his Jewish star Udin. going Juden 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 yeah yeah I mean I was like if I was him I totally would do that too Juden <laughs> that's a great moment bro <laughs> um we also get another kind of screwed up sequence where they're you know they don't know they they were given a bunch of like oh he might be dead they 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 have all these different uh dog tags and they have to like look through all the different dog tags to see if he's in there uh and it's uh as they're like kind of you know going through them you see like the looks of these other soldiers that have just come out from the all these dead all these dog tags representing all these dead soldiers it's just one of this like a and these guys are just kind of throwing them into this big pile if they don't mean anything yeah yeah it was it was pretty heavy and then they get some sense. I think Tom Hanks was going along with it a little bit too, until he gets. Yeah, I think he realizes what's happening, and then, you know, he he stops. But, you know, it's uh, yeah, that that was that was kind of a heavy scene there. Um, so they 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 push on with their mission. Uh, they keep going, but not before they they kind of encounter this like German. I don't know if it's like a fort, but like this German kind of station that they could go around without any trouble, but. Miller's like, no, we gotta, our job here is to is to fight the enemy, and we're gonna go in there and we're gonna ambush them and take them out. And everyone is against him on this. Like, they're all like, no, like we really shouldn't do this. It's it's uh, it's not our objective. He's like, our objective is to win the war, uh, which, which is interesting because all these guys are like, we should really don't, we should really not do this. And yeah, and then it ends, it ends up costing them. Yeah. Uh... In this uh, this little mini battle, they have to secure the base. Uh, Wade ends up dying. <laughs> well, Giovanni Rabisi, which was sad, because yeah, he he went pretty bad too. Because um, but but I th- oh he's the one that they um they give the morphine to. Like they give him like three doses of, of the morphine, right? And then like he dies after that. So he didn't go. I guess he didn't go too bad. But it was like still like it, he he's a good actor, and you know. I, he, he he did a really good job here. Yeah, he's it's kind of really with the it's really upsetting because he's like, because he's trying to give him direction on how to save him, and they're like, "Tell us how to fix you. Tell us how to fix you." And he's trying to give him directions, like knowing that it's really bad. And then he's like, at a certain point, he's just like, he knows it's, it's not gonna, it's not gonna, it's not gonna matter. So he's like, "Give me more morphine," and yeah. then that's when they're like, "Oh shit." <laughs> Oh, this is a, it's a rough scene. Like Rubisi's excellent here because the way he's like dying, I'm just like Jesus Christ. 
and you see like the the bullet holes like just kind of pouring blood out of his body. No, oh, out of the gut. Yeah. Was, ugh. Oh yeah. my god. It was it was that was harrowing. Um. So after he dies, they capture one of uh one of the uh one of the Germans who in the credits is is called Steamboat Willie, which I think is screwed up <laughs> because he. <laughs> Because he's uh, trying to like get the get the Americans on his side by by talking about uh, uh, America things like Steamboat Willie. Um, oh say can you see? Oh say can you see? Uh, and then he's fighting like F Hitler, F Hitler. Um, but uh, yeah, they're all they all pretty much want to kill him. And then Upham is the only one that's like trying to save his life because it's against you know against the Geneva Convention rules. Oh wait, was the Geneva Convention? Active during World War Two, or was it afterwards? I think Geneva was after. World yeah, War you're right. It's, I think it's afterwards. So yeah, but it, either way, it's against the the rules of war, right? Um, but they were like, oh no, we got to kill this guy. And then Tom Hanks lets him go, and um, all chaos kind of breaks uh, breaks through on his in his in his troop here in his squad because everyone is pissed at him now because they lost another guy for the stupid Private Ryan and. He still he still wants to go on on with the, the mission, and you know they lost another guy, and they let this German go, and now uh, there's a big standoff between um, uh, Horvath, which is Tom Sizemore, and um, uh, Rybin, which is which is Burns, and uh, which is really a great <laughs> this great sequence. Oh, you're gonna shoot me now over Private Ryan's like no, I'm gonna shoot because I don't like you. This is a great line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a great scene because it's like now, like the tensions are up again. Like you know, what what is he going to shoot him? Is he going to desert? Like, what's happening? Because now, like he's like he's testing Captain Miller. You know, like you know, you know, this is all BS or whatever he says. You know, all this for for this is this Private Ryan. You know, we lost Wade. You know, like you know, I, basically he's not trusting his leadership anymore based on everything that just just happened. And especially, I think you know, letting the German guy go was like. This all that broke the camel's back. But then Miller very uh, intelligently diffuses the situation, knowing what's knowing the little pool they have the, among the troops about as to what he does in his civilian life. And he finally decides to break the tension by revealing that he was a school teacher, an English teacher, I think he said, yeah, back home. So yeah, in Pennsylvania, teacher in Indiana, yeah, in Indiana. Oh no, you're right. It is it is Pennsylvania. You're right. It is Pennsylvania. It's in Indiana. Um, and he just and the reason that's important is because like the whole movie, there's been this thread about like nobody knows who he is or what he's done, like before the war, because he never reveals anything about his background. And there's like a bet, like a a pool of like wondering who, like if he's gonna. If he's ever going to reveal it, and so he finally says what it is. And again, this is why I think it's important that like he has to be like an everyman. He can't just be like, oh, he was a a tough butcher or like this guy from Brooklyn or whatever. No, he's like a normal dude from like a small town in Pennsylvania, an English teacher. And you're gonna get some clues that he's an English teacher early on because like I think um, Upham quotes something. I forget what it is, and he immediately from, knows what the quote is. Uh... From, I forget what the quote is, but it's it's a famous uh, author or poet that he quotes. I can't remember who it was, but I can't remember who it was either. But it, yeah, but, but he but Miller knows exactly. I think it was Emerson, it Ralph Waldo. Was it Emerson? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but yeah, it, it it he has to kind of be Tom Hanks. You know, he has to be the everyman because it wouldn't work otherwise. Exactly. Um, and he also basically kind of gives a little speech of the movie, like, look, I don't care about Private Ryan, but if 
finding him and sending him home gets me closer to getting home to my wife, then we're going to go do this. Like, that's yeah. what we're going to do. There you go. Um, and then shortly after, and then after they kind of diffuse the situation, I think this is when we actually find them, right? They, they come up to that tank in the, in the middle of those, like that flower field. Um, they blow it up, uh, with the help of the other squad. And then they realize that, uh, private Ryan is among them and good old baby face, Matt Damon. Yeah. Uh, when it was, it was him and like two other guys that are like in that little uh, like the little field where they they kind of ambush that that tank troop, and uh, yeah, they finally they finally find Private Ryan, <laughs> um, and I think th- th- that's when he reveals like they're guarding that bridge, right? I think in Ramel or wherever it is. Yeah, Ramel. Well, yeah, yeah. What's interesting about this uh, about about uh, Matt Damon being in this film is that this is really before his big break. Because the film, the movie was shot in June 97, um, according to my research. And then um, Goodwill Hunting, which is what kind of made him like a, like put him on the map and him winning the Oscar with Ben Affleck, didn't come out till like later that year. And then they won the Oscar at that year's Academy Awards. And then Private Ryan came out. So like he was filming this before he was like anybody like he, before anybody knew who he was, so right. by that, so they so they almost kind of lucked into like, hey, we got Matt Damon in this movie when the movie came out because like he wouldn't he was a nobody before this, not a nobody, but you know he was like he was a small time actor. He wasn't like nobody knew who Matt Damon even was. So it's interesting exactly. that like it, during the filming of it and then the release, he became a big star. And then it can be it became like oh Matt Damon's in it, like you said, like oh look at that, you know I, I know that guy, he's Goodwill Hunting. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so then this is, so we, we find him, that he, we find out that his, uh, his, is it squad or a troop? What do you call it? Is his unit? I guess a unit, yeah. I guess his unit. His unit, I know my sister's in the army. I should have asked her. Um, his unit is, is, uh, guarding this bridge, like you said, in this, uh, in this pretty much bombed out town. Uh, and they're like, yeah, our mission is, is him. We're here for him. Um, and he's like, well, why me? Like we came to, he's like, your brothers are dead. Which one is like all of them. And it's like, what a terrible, like the, Matt Damon gives a great performance here. Cause he's like, cause he, he looks like he gets punched in the gut after, after he, after he tells him that. Um, and they basically like, yeah, we're going to take you home. And then Matt Damon refuses. He's like, no, I'm here to die with, with these guys. He's the only brothers I have left. Yeah, exactly. Like he pretty much tells Captain Miller, "Hey, I'm not going anywhere. I was, you know, assigned to protect this bridge. I'm not going to leave these guys, and you know, and that's what I'm. Gonna, no, nobody's going to drag me off this bridge. I'm going to stay here and defend it." And of course, starts pissing all the other guys off because, like, you know, they lost guys died from their troop just to get to to, to Ryan, and now he's going to be like, "Oh, I'm not leaving," you know. So they're kind of understandably pissed. <laughs> He's like, uh, I think it's a uh, uh, Ryman who's like, "Hey, asshole, we lost two of our guys going home." That's and I right. would like, I'm with him. Like, if I, even though, like, if I was part of this this unit, right, and even though I would resent him for going home, like, if I risked my my ass and two of my guys died for this, like, he better be going home. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, he yeah. better do what we what what the whole mission was about in the first place. 
but I, I mean, eventually Miller, like, I guess, agrees with him. So then, like, he he and his troops stick around to help, you know, Ryan and his unit defend the bridge, which is the the climactic battle sequence we're about to get. Yeah, um, and um, yeah, it's a really it's a really great battle sequence. He basically says, you know, you're not allowed to leave my leave my site. You're not allowed to leave two uh, two feet from me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you get kind of the calm before the storm as everyone's kind of, you know sharing some stories you get the really good one from from uh uh from matt damon about about his brother trying to have have relations with the ugly girl in town um and uh how and then uh uh, tom hanks is like talking about how his wife and then he's like but i'm not gonna tell you about that that one's just for me that was just that's right (laughs) that was a good line um but yeah, then we get this big uh this big firefight with the these Germans coming in uh into town and uh they're defending the bridge. They have a tank. Is it just one tank or is there two? I think it's two tiger tanks and then they said there's a panzer. Okay. Um they, they you know they they have they have everyone there waiting to ambush them, but uh doesn't go super well. Um they they eventually they do <laughs> they do stop it, but it's it, not without a lot of pretty uh, pretty heavy losses for the uh, for the good guys. Yeah, so the Barry Pepper death that one that was a punch in the gut for me because <laughs> I mean they that kind of built him up as as a very strong character like throughout the movie and then to kind of see him go the way he did it was just ugh. I mean it wasn't like graphic or anything but like he's just wrong place at the wrong time like because I, I love how like throughout the movie like when he's making his shots like you know he's praying he's saying his prayer he's like he's kissing his crucifix and then like he gets the german guy you know on the other end right but now this time like they, they it's like he had like the same plan every time and this time like the tank caught up to him unfortunately while he's in the in the bird's nest and then he gets blown up so yeah that was that was a rough one um and then also mellish uh getting killed by the the same guy that they let go earlier like you said, with the knife, that was a rough one to watch. Yeah, that was rough. Yeah, that was very. Uh, that was very and all because too. Upham was a coward. Mm-hmm. And oh. I, I remember just I, I remember getting really mad at him during that during the first time I watched it, and this time still being really mad at him, like because it was yeah, like, I was, I, just I was go mad. up there. You have a gun. He has a knife. Just go shoot him. And it was the whole reason he's even here is because you let him. He convinced him to let him go. I was so mad at him. <laughs> But, uh, I mean, I guess you can, you know, I don't know if I would do any better in that situation if you're scared to death in the middle of this war. But I'm just saying, I was, I'm was, i still pretty mad at Upham for doing that. Yeah, I was pissed too. It's just, uh, like, exactly, he, he, has a, he has ammo on him. Just go up there and just start, like, just spraying. That's all you got to do. And it was after he, like, uh... After Mellish even told him, like, this is your job. You have to run ammo to us. You have to be Johnny on the spot, blah, blah, blah. And then he couldn't even do that. He was calling for ammo that, during the entire firefight, and he couldn't and, and he, and he couldn't get it done. Yeah. Just. Um, I almost expected him to die. I, I remember when I, when I first saw it, and I was like, oh, I, I think he needs to die now. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but he survived. But uh, he does. And they're kind of almost, almost vindicating himself, but not really. Yeah, almost. But then he, because whenever they capture the Germans at the end, he shoots the guy that he let go. He's like, up him. 
and then he shoots him in the face. <laughs> yeah, but too little, too late, bro. Yeah, still. He killed two guys. Yeah. Uh, so in in the middle of all, uh, all this, you see, uh, they finally you know get the better of them, and it, it's a great sequence where like um, Captain Miller has been shot. He's like on his on his you know on his ass really, and he's like just takes his gun out and starts shooting at the tank, at the tank and then yeah, it blows like up. Last stand, like, basically, yeah. <laughs> I love the look on his face after it blows up after he shoots at it, and then it's because the the uh, the airborne division has come to save their butts and and you know save the day. Um, but uh, but yeah, then we get the um, the 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 big the big quote from this movie. He pulls in Matt Damon, he pulls in Private Ryan, and he goes, "Earn this." Yeah, and then that's it for Tom Hanks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um. After that, uh, we get um, we flash forward back to the, the the present day where we get that kind of dissolve from a young man to an old man, um, where we now realize that the old man at the beginning was Private Ryan, which they don't really make it clear right away, like because you don't yeah. see who he is. Like it could have been Miller for all you knew, you know, it could have been whoever. Um, but um, we realize now it's Private Ryan, and um, he, you know, he asks his wife if he's led a good life and. She, of course, says yes, and then it ends with him, you know, saluting the flag, and and there we go. That's saving Private Ryan. Not saluting the flag, saluting the uh, the grave. The grave, and then, and uh, then you see Miller. the flag, yeah. Tom Miller, well, John Miller. I do want to uh, just point out one quick thing. It, it did seem like, it seemed like it was cloudy, you know, while he was visiting, right? So whether it was, it might have rained or it was going to rain, right? So I just... I guess in 2020, I just appreciate somebody, even with the possibility of rain, going to visit a war memorial in France. You know, not getting scared about messing up his hair or anything. I, 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 I see what you're doing there. Smell <laughs> what you're cooking. I, it's just I appreciated that in 2020. You know, we're not going to get sidetracked into that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's Saving Private Ryan. Um, pretty much considered by a lot of people. Um, was one of, if not the best war movie ever made. Um, now, there are a lot of people that say that there is no such thing as a anti-war movie because even the ones that are quote-unquote anti-war still glorify war. What do you what do you think of of that that sentiment? You know what? That's that's it's an interesting thought there because I've done. I, I I did a, a college thesis on anti-war versus pro-war films in the Vietnam War, and I want to say that at least uh, argument, you know, yeah, you're arguing against war by portraying war, you know, and making money off war in a way, right? Because obviously, like you know, they don't they don't make these movies for peanuts, but I still think that. I mean, if it's like, like for example, like something like Full Metal Jacket or even Platoon, like the intent is to kind of show like the dark side of war. And even with with Saving Private Ryan, words, or you you get like the the graphic depiction, you get that the the Normandy landing sequence, you get this like this final battle at the bridge that was that was very uh, nasty as well. Um, it's still kind of that. that Despite all that, this movie still kind of has like that spirit of like the 40s and 50s World War II movies and that, you know, it's portraying like, you know, oh, the brave Americans fighting the good war and everything. Whereas something more like once you get to the Vietnam era, like like Apocalypse Now and all those films, like they're very, very pessimistic and nihilistic about a lot of stuff. So Mm -hmm. um, 
Well, I mean, to like, just to kind of sum up to an extent, I can kind of agree with that. Maybe more for World War II movies, but with Vietnam, like, it's blatantly anti-war, despite, like, you know, what, yeah, they're making money off this movie. They're, they're kind of, I don't want to say they're glorifying war, but it's just like, it's very, uh, it's a different attitude when it comes to those movies. Well, not the Green, not the green Berets, though. The Green oh. Berets is, is pretty, <laughs> like, yay F war. that movie, bro. <laughs> That was oh that was my prime uh, my prime example of the pro war <laughs> pro pro Vietnam War. <laughs> it's not a good movie. That, that's one of the ones I rewatch just to rewatch uh, during Memorial Day, and yeah, it's it's it has it still has not aged well. <laughs> no, it has not. Um, especially in light of the, how the fact that you it, it, through history we we found out that uh, John Wayne not the best person in the world. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, the uh i i I don't know it's 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 an interesting subject and i i I don't know if i'm the right person to talk about it but it it is interesting because you you see the first you know half hour of this movie is showing you the absolute horrific nature of war but the film is still kind of inspirational you know the film is still kind of saying this is america this is what we do this this is the right thing this was worth it yeah this is worth it this is the right thing we should we should be doing these things blah blah blah. you know what i mean so it it is kind of uh (laughs) it it kind of has its cake and eat it too you know what i mean right um but yeah um so this movie is uh went on to be the highest grossing film of 1998 in the united states with uh, over two hundred million dollars, and it became it was number two in uh, worldwide with uh, four hundred eighty million dollars. Uh, the other top ten, I looked at the other top ten movies of that year, and I found it uh, a very interesting mix of of good movies and a lot of crap. Would oh, you like to tell. hear what they are? Do okay. Tell. So number one was Saving Private Ryan. Coming in at number two was Armageddon. Then some. There's something about Mary, A Bug's Life. Then the Water Boy, Doctor Doolittle, Rush Hour, Deep Impact, Godzilla, and Patch Adams. <laughs> There's a lot of crap on that list there. It's very, very interesting. This is the domestic, right? This is domestic, yeah. What I'm about bad. worldwide? Uh, I would imagine they're probably similar, um, but I did not see the worldwide ones. Because I know I did read that at worldwide. This was the second highest gross. I think Armageddon was number one worldwide. Let me let me see if I can find it real quick. Nineteen ninety-eight worldwide box office. Okay, so it was okay. Number one was Armageddon. Two, uh, same Private Ryan. Godzilla jumps up to number three. Then there's something <laughs> about Mary. Then a Bug's Life. Then Deep Impact, then Mulan makes it to the top ten. Uh, then Doctor Doolittle, then Lethal Weapon four, and then number ten was Shakespeare in Love. Ooh, but yeah. Mulan, man, making more money than the current Mulan is doing. Well, it's not hard. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't watched that because there's no way I'm paying thirty dollars for that. Yeah, they, they um, can go suck a lemon on that, bro. <laughs> um, some interesting. Uh, so the movie was generally 
was very well received. I think it's rocking at like a ninety some ninety three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it but there were be like higher, but whatever. There were some critics of the film, including Oliver Stone, a military veteran himself. Uh, he accused the film of promoting the worship of World War II as the good war, as I said earlier in the in the in the, in the podcast. Um, and he believes it while it was well made that. It may have inadvertently led to uh, America's readiness for the 2003 invasion of Iraq. I think that's a stretch, but yeah, it's kind of a stretch. On. But I can. But kind Oliver of, I Stone also, it. you know, it has issues with lots of things. Um, well, this is before he went like full crazy, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, actor Richard Todd, who was a perform, who was an actor in The Longest Day, called the film rubbish and overdone. This is. Um, it. Let's see. An American academic and historian, Paul Fusel, said that uh, he described the the way Spielberg's Saving Private Ryan after an honest, harrowing, fifteen-minute opening, visualizing details of unbearable bloody mess at Omaha Beach, denigrated, degenerated into a harmless, uncritical, patriotic performance, apparently designed to thrill twelve-year-old boys during the summer bad film season. Huh. <laughs> uh, historian. Uh, Jim the Eugenio said that the film was 90% fiction and that Tom Hanks knew this with his goal being to commemorate World War II as the good war and depict American role as crucial. Okay. Um, but it does have its, it does have its fans among the, uh, the, uh, among filmmakers. Um, Robert Altman said that Private Ryan was awesome. The best I've ever seen. And uh, Quentin Tarantino uh, also said it was one uh, one of his favorites and cited it as an influence on Inglorious Bastards. You can see it. And uh, Christopher Nolan said that he consulted with Spielberg uh, about uh, how to how to film warm scenes during while he was making Dunkirk. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I can see that too. Um, the film did go on to win Best Picture and Director at the Golden Globes at the Producers Guild of America, Directors Guild of America, and Critics' Choice Awards. It was nominated for 11 Academy Awards, including Best Picture um, and, uh, and Best Actor for Tom Hanks and um, other, other um, <clears throat> excuse me, and other, uh, you know, technical it, awards. Technical, yeah. It did win five, including Best Director for Spielberg, Cinematography for Janice Kaminsky, uh, best sound and, and film editing and sound effects editing, all those very well deserved. And the very famously, as we mentioned before, lost to Shakespeare in love for best what picture. A, what a bunch of malarkey. Um, it is probably one of the... I mean, that is, other than, I think... I, there are other examples in history, like... I'm trying to think of some recent examples. Like, for example, my much maligned Crash... Uh, Winning over Brokeback Mountain, that was a bad one. Um, Green Book winning over pretty much any movie that year. Um, um, yeah, the, that this is one of the worst ones, I think. Um, and interestingly enough, in a poll in 2015, uh, Academy members indicated that given a second chance, they would award the best picture to Saving Private Ryan. And of course, obviously, like with, with the whole Shakespeare and Love thing, that's pretty much due to you know, that scumbag Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. Harvey Weinstein making basically greasing enough palms. And, you know, it's so weird because, like, there are so many movies that he had a hand in that, like, you know, I'll go walk back and rewatch a movie and you're sitting there trying to watch a movie and then the opening credits come up and then you see, like, you know, 
the Weinstein Company or produced by Harry Wein- Harvey Weinstein. You're like, oh, right. You know, like you get that moment of like, oh, that's right. Like, uh... He did a lot of stuff. Brother, you know? I can't even watch the Machete trailer anymore. <laughs> Without, yeah. Yeah, it goes, brought to you from your friends at the Weinstein Company. Yeah, it just sucks, like, how much, like, like you can't cancel, like, his movies because there's so many of his movies. And thankfully, he wasn't that much of a creative force behind them. He was more like a, you know, a money man and, and negotiator and things like that. But it's still kind of like, it just makes you feel like every time you see his name pop up, you're like, ugh. Um, but yeah, you know, Shakespeare in Love, it's not a terrible movie. It's fine. It's fine. But over, over Saving Private Ryan, that is, re- like, absolutely insane. Yeah, it's dumb. It's one of those it things. It's dumb like, then, it's dumb now. Yeah. It, it's, it's a really bad, it was a really bad choice. And it's one of those things that, like, I don't know if you've seen it and, and how, how you feel about it, but it's just... Like, when I first saw it, it was, I think I saw it before the Oscars. And I was like, yeah, it's fine. Okay, whatever. And then when it won, I was, I got, like, so much, like, I had so much heat with it. But then I rewatched it, like, years later. And I'm like, yeah, it's not a, it's not, just, it's not a bad movie. It just gets a lot of crap because it's it lost to a better movie, right? But it's just, ugh, come on. I don't know. I mean, I remember watching it, like, watching the ceremony as it happened. And... I don't want to say I didn't care because I wasn't I wasn't tapped into this yet. It was, to me, it was just like, oh, you know, it's movies. You know, movies are cool, right? I didn't I wasn't really tapped into like you know the Oscars like I am now, you know. And it's almost like, like now I compare this to something like Green Book winning. You know, I was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> I'd be like freaking like tweening up a storm at this point if this was happening today. <laughs> I, I'm so annoyed at movies like Green Book and Crash Wedding, um, if for no other reason that <laughs> I'm I uh, I'm you know in my 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 video library I have been trying to like fill in a lot of holes and one of the holes of my collection was I was trying to get every Best Picture winner, which means I have to get Crash and Green Book at some point, which I really don't want to do. But but I can't like have that hole like it bother me from like a OCD perspective to I- not have them in there. I'm like that too. I mean, but like, I have Crash I don't on DVD, which on. I haven't even opened. But I just I have it, and then Green Book I picked up for like five bucks when it was on sale. So I, there I, you go. I'm gonna go like buy used copies or something because I can't I can't reward that. I can't reward the studio for those movies. Hence the five bucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is five well, bucks more than it's worth. Yeah, really. Uh, let's see what else here. Uh, in 2007, the AFI ranked it uh, as the 71st greatest movie on the AFI 100 movies list. It also was number 45 in their uh, 100 thrills and the 10th most inspiring movie in their 100 cheers movie and the 8th best epic film in their top 10 epic films. Um, and in 2014, it was inducted into the National Film Registry. So clearly a very important uh well-made film that is pretty much going to go down in history. It's um, even though it's a pretty recent film, as far as we're, as far as this show is concerned, I think that's, this is the most recent film we've done. I think before that it was silence of the lambs. Um, And that's, you know, recent, that's 22 years, you know, is not that recent, but for a lot of people, if you've ever read, let me tell you something. You want to see people lose their minds. Go like to the either a TCM Twitter or Facebook pages 
whenever they announce their um, 31 days of Oscars, because the TCM will play some like more recent films during that that are Oscar-nominated films that fit the theme, right? And then you see people like, a movie from 1999 can't be a classic, and they just flip their lid. You know what I mean? So yeah. you want to see some people like just completely go nuts over arbitrary things like that. that that's when you do it. Well, that's going to um, happen as like you know the, everybody gets older. You know, like for example, like that the, we have a classic station like locally around here that used to play like you know just strictly 60s and 70s, and then like within the last few years started throwing in some 80s in there, and it's like I mean you get it because everybody is from that getting older from that time you know so i mean all, and then eventually it'll be 90s there <laughs> all the music i listened to as a kid is on classic rock stations now so i'm old as hell so <laughs> oh man i got the uh, i got the hair nation bro on sirius xm that's yeah. one of my uh, top stations um one thing i did you know i i did want to say this uh before before we move on um before we close out the show one thing i did want to say about this film what do you feel about like the beginning and end of the film with them at the cemetery? Because after watching this, it's it's kind of cheesy. I feel like <laughs> a little cheesy, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I get that. Um, I kind of think it would have been better off to just start the movie, bam, right on the beach. I mean, I think the the the. Um... The beginning and ending sequence is be- it obviously like when you first watch it, uh, like we were talking about earlier, you don't know that who the old man is. Like it could have been Miller that was looking at Private Ryan's grave or somebody else's and they, grave. And right? they even kind of trick you a little bit because there's a point like after, right before um, they go on the mission, after he's gotten his orders, they do a zoom in on on, on Tom Hanks's face like real slow until like you see his eyes almost in the same kind of position where you saw the old man, right? And so, like, it almost tries to trick you to think it might be Miller. But, yeah, sorry, go on. No, no, just my, my point is, I guess, to kind of give us that little bit of a red herring effect, um, that's why, I guess, he, he felt like he needed to do that. Like, if it wasn't for, for that, like, just kind of just that little swerve for the audience. And I would say, yeah, just take that out and just start it from Omaha Beach. You know, you didn't even have to do that other extra stuff. It's just, and I look, I love Steven Spielberg. I think that there's a lot of, too many modern critics um, like like to kind of crap on him just because he makes very populous movies, you know? And they're like, oh, like if you like, you know, Jaws and Raiders and, and, you know, Saving Private Ryan, you're like a basic film fan, you know? You're not like a real film film snob. I get that, but like, and, and I don't think, I think he's one of the best directors of all time. I think he's, he has to go down in history as one of the best of all time. But there are sometimes little things he does that are like where criticism, I think, is earned. And I think sometimes he does get a little too sentimental. And I think those bookend scenes are just a little too sentimental for me. Like watching it, like it didn't strike me that much when I first saw it. But like now, like, you know, all these years later when I watch it and then you hear like the John Williams music coming up in the background. And like, it's just a little, it's a little too cheesy for me. You know, I think I would have just started it right at Omaha Beach and then ended it right after like you know uh right after the battle at the at the bridge yeah you know like in the, if you ever watch movies in like this a lot of movies in the 70s like like especially big action movies like there's no like denouement afterwards it's just like the movie ends right after the big scene like the movie just ends like you know like especially like all those big disaster movies like you know like earthquake or tiring inferno like after like the thing stops, like okay, like, we're over. Movie's credits. over, yeah. You know, right. Like and it kind of like 
I think it would have been a little bit more impactful. You start at the beach and then you end. You know, Miller says, earn this. You get a shot at Damon looking down, fade out. You know, done. Jaws ends like that too, right? Doesn't yeah, Jaws ends like, exactly, exactly. Good job. Like that. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Jaws ends exactly like that. Like, okay, the movie's over. We did the thing. There's no post scene where they're hanging out and talking about the shark. It's like, nope, we killed the shark. We're done. Yep, that's it. <laughs> uh, all right. So anyway, um, uh, if you like this movie, I also would recommend the the miniseries uh, Band of Brothers, which is excellent. Um, it is like. Uh, I don't know if it's available. Actually, if you have HBO Max, I'm assuming you'd be there because it was an yeah. HBO series. Um, but it's an excellent film. Uh, otherwise, you can watch the film pretty much in any of the normal streaming uh, services where you can rent or buy streaming films. Um, the, there's no real special edition Blu-ray of this. There's no boutique label of it. I think it's just your standard. Uh, I think this was a universe. Is this Universal? No, it was DreamWorks, I think. So whoever released it... Um, on uh, Paramount, I think, released it under the Sapphire series. That's like oh, you're right. It, it was Paramount, yeah. So Paramount released. So yeah, there's no like real special edition of it. So, but I think the 4K came out this year, though, didn't it? it the or... 4K came out. I don't have it. I only have the Blu-ray. Um, because I only just upgraded my TV and and player to 4K in the last year, so I haven't upgraded a lot of movies yet. And it's like yeah. I don't know if I want to upgrade. So do re-upgrade everything. So, but although this one probably look, would look really good on 4k but it, it looks pretty good now on my blu-ray on my tv so i don't think i need to really upgrade it um but yeah it's it's available out there to buy no no special boutique release of it or anything um any last uh thoughts on saving private ryan before we talk about our next movie well not not really on saving private ryan although i mean what else can we add to what we said? You know, it, it's uh, it's a, it's a landmark feature in in terms of the the genre of the war movie. You know, so many uh, films that have come after it have been you know said that they were inspired by Spielberg and by this movie. And uh, I mean, once you get past you know that that beginning sequence, like you know you, you're you're in for a ride at that point. Um, but just you know, just just an amazing movie. They should uh, they should teach that opening sequence in like film editing classes and sound effects classes, you know, and cinematography classes. Yeah, it's absolutely the, the, even if let's say you even hate the film, like everyone who even criticized the film still talked about that opening sequence as amazing because from a pure craft perspective, that opening sequence is so amazing to look at. It is. So like everything works from top to bottom, from directing to acting, editing, cinematography, everything. Um, so yeah, that's, um, so just a great piece of film. All right, so that's Saving Private Ryan. Uh, hopefully uh, you enjoyed our discussion on this. Now, our next episode will come out uh, during Halloween. Uh, and I'm not taking out the random movie generator this time because I've already picked the movie. No. Because it's going to be, because we're celebrating this year its 40th anniversary. Uh, can you guess what it is? Let's see. 1980. 1980. It's hmm. Halloween. So what movie could we be discussing from 1980? 19... Uh, I need I need to at least guess something. Let me uh hold on. Let me see. 19. No googling. No, I'm not googling. <laughs> I'm, I'm legitimately just trying to think. You want to hit? See, because I, I I'm I'm terrible like at like release dates as to when like movies came out because I would just say stuff like oh Friday the Thirteenth Part One or something but I don't remember when that came out. <laughs> what was that? 
It's much more prestige than Friday the 13th. Well, must, much more prestigious. Uh, 1980. I'll give you one hint. The director of the film also directed a movie we've discussed already on the show. Oh, that's not going to help. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Hey, just tell me. Here's Johnny. Nice. That, oh, that, uh, why did I feel like that was like 79? I don't know. Uh, it came out like uh, I think about a month before I was born. Um, so yeah, we're gonna be discussing The Shining on our next episode for Halloween. Sweet. So get that in. I think this is gonna be fun just because of all the wacky conspiracy theories about The Shining that we can talk about. Um, I don't know if I'm gonna screen 237 uh, before before we talk about that film, but uh, I'll, it, I, I will. I'll do like a little double feature with those two then. But. Uh, but because we like to let you know what the next movie is so that you can watch and prepare for it, if you have time, it would, it's, an, it's a fun double feature to watch The Shining and Room 237. I think it's called Room 237. Is the, That's right. Um, because it is, it's basically a feature-length documentary of all these different people. And what's funny is like you don't see the people talking. You just hear their voices, and then you see the images of the, from The Shining uh, – you know, them talking over the images from The Shining about their wacky conspiracy theories about what each scene means and how it's about, you know, Native Americans or whatever. I don't know. Uh, but it's a crazy, like, it's a crazy movie. But it's it's also really fun to watch. So if you have time, also watch that because we might get into a little bit of those conspiracy theories. Um, but yeah, The Shining will be our Halloween episode this year. So with that episode that I can talk about when I saw it in Alamo, which yeah. that was part of the uh, Kubrick celebration back in 2017. They did like for every quarter they did a, a, a Kubrick film, like a, a big, like a big, huge screening, like with, you know, with merchandise. And they did like, you know, that was that was um, part of that program was the uh, Full Metal Jacket screening that had Matthew Modine show up as a surprise and then like sign autographs for people afterwards. So that was that was really cool. Um, but The Shining, I think, was the last film that came out, I think, in November. I think they did it at Alamo. I can talk about my experience at that screening, uh, and then we can kind of tie it back to Spielberg with the Ready Player One thing, which is awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, I've watched I've watched Ready Player One since that since we last talked about it, and it that that scene is still really a lot of fun. It's really fun, yeah. It's really fun. Um, and and yeah, we this... get into Doctor Sleep a little because we never got to talk about it, did we? You know what? That's true. I have I still have yet to watch it, so I'm gonna I'll, I'm gonna try to get a get a screening of Doctor Sleep in before. Oh, this is gonna uh, be a great show. Because uh, okay. I, I I have heard good things about it. So yes, um, it is one of the movies that uh, I watched way way too young, <laughs> and um, was scarred by it until I was an adult and watched it again. <laughs> well, I mean, with me personally, I didn't see it till I was like way older, so. I mean, I saw it at the right time. Unfortunately, it's it's funny because it's a movie that has no jump scares. It's all just dread it's, the entire it's all time. In your head, yeah. It's all dread and terror, but no actual jump scares. At least I don't think so. I can't think of a jump scare. The only one I can think of is whenever he uh, pops out and and chops the dude in the chest in the uh, Scatman Crothers in the chest. But other than that, I can't think of another jump scare. <laughs> and then I can bring up the Simpsons, of course, with their oh, uh, parody. Of course. Um, all right, we'll talk about more about that. I think we're both excited to talk about it, so we'll talk more about that on the next episode. Uh, so, again, The Shining is the next episode, and if you want to watch some companion pieces, Room 37 and Dr. Sleep. That's right. So uh, we'll see you guys next time, then, for The Shining. Should be a great show. Yep. So thanks for joining us this week for The Saving Private Ryan, and uh, hopefully we've earned this uh 
listening to your your attention as as you listen to our podcast this week. All right, thanks everyone. Uh, oh, actually, before we should plug everything. Uh, EssentialFilmsPodcast.com, EssentialFilmsPodcast at gmail.com. Please like the Essential Films on Facebook and follow at Essential Films on Twitter. Uh, please like, rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. And uh, please listen to other show, Force Perspective. Uh, Mark, we have any news on the Force Perspective front? Uh, so you can follow me on Twitter at SportsGuy515, and then we have Force Perspective also on Twitter at FP Movie Podcast. You know what it is? It's really hard to get into the spirit of Force Perspective, considering that that's our like show where we talk about the recent movies that we've seen, and like there's like. There's no recent Nothing movie. out right now. Yeah. There's no recent movies. Even like they just pushed back a uh, Black Widow again to next year. So yeah. I suppose we could do the stuff that that keep that they've put on streaming. But it's like, I don't know, man. I there's so many movies that they've released on streaming, but I also I'm also kind of like, I can't get into it. Like I feel like because it's like this. What's the word I'm looking for? Because it's like this is what they had to do. This is like a replacement. It doesn't feel like as special to like watch it you know like exactly. i watched bill, i watched the new bill and ted movie just because i love bill and ted and i needed to and like i had to watch it but like i don't know i'm just not jazzed for like seeing anything on my computer like instead of going to the theater yeah you know? i'm in the same boat too i mean that's why like i'd rather just watch like my stack of exploitation movies like, yeah. than, you know than anything new because it's like you know at least with those like i know i'm gonna have a good time like it, yeah. it's just hard to get excited for like having to watch like something on. I mean, I'm right now the best movie I've seen all year. Like, uh, you know, with with the situation is uh, the Five Bloods from Spike Lee on Netflix. That's yeah, a really I heard movie. that's really good. And that's is that Chadwick Boseman's last movie? Oh no, I think he has another one coming out too. I think he has one more coming out. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and I just I just can't get you right. You know, and the thing is, like, when we get to Oscar season in like a couple months, I'm gonna be cramming all this stuff anyway. So I should probably just get it all out of my get it like start like now, yeah. But I just I it's there's just something like I can't get into it. Like I can't put myself in the mindset of like watching something that was supposed to be released in theaters and just watching it on my TV on my computer or TV just because that's the only choice I have, you know. Yeah, it's uh, it, 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 this year sucks, man. So it really does. All right. Anyway, so, so we're ending on a down note. But anyway, um. Yeah, it, it, we could talk about stuff, but I don't know. I don't know. Force yeah. Perspective will be back someday, I guess, when theaters reopen. <laughs> oh, and, and by the way, when it comes back, it'll it'll be a grand triumphant return. But uh, probably, I want uh, hopefully maybe I can coincide it with the day we can actually go back to the movies again, like normally. But who knows? Who knows when that'll ever be at this point? Yeah. Wow. Well, all right, guys. Uh, thanks for listening and. Uh, Stay tuned for our next episode, The Shining.